Take two. Take two. We tried this already. Messed it up. We, yes, we tried this and uh, thank we God we record difficulties now. <laughs> but uh, no worries. We should be good. Um, we're going to be talking about the natural history, uh, the story of the rough scale python, the characteristics, I keeping, may have breeding. I the show the first time around just so we could do this again. So. <laughs> yeah, I think I think no, that's the no, must have happened. It makes a lot of sense. What do I think about rough scale pythons? So rough scale pythons for me have been one of those species that I've kind of, I don't know. I've, I've, I remember seeing my very first one Mm -hmm. in carpet fest at the Northeast carpet fest. I believe it was the second one. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember that we were, we were hanging out or whatever, and we got pulled into Howard's room and Julie had a pair uh, that came from Terry or Cameron? They came from Cameron because it was back in that moment where Cam was one of the only people that actually had them that was producing them in the U.S. Right. And then uh, Terry had the, the ones that he always had at the Reptile Garden. But after that, everything was very scarce. So they were still a rare python. So that was the first one to, that we saw, but we both saw in the flesh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, something, oh man, I mean, we just kind of dreamed about that kind of species and kind of thought like, you know, it was a dream to maybe even one day be able to work with them, let alone even just see them at a zoo or wherever. Yeah, it, it, it was one of those things where there was a the, the, the section on MP, on Morelli yes. Pythons on the forum, that, you know, you late at night in college and I'm popping around on MP, checking stuff out. And you go into those little fringe things, which you barely ever go over there. Like, why would you? I don't own those things. So, and you kind of look at this thing and I'm like, oh, it's cool. It's like a weird kind of carpet python. And that's really where I left it until you started getting further and further along and into your reptile knowledge and basis of things like that. So when they started becoming a little bit more popular or rumored, that they were here, that they were breeding, that babies were becoming available. I definitely started looking at them more and more and more and definitely loved the idea of the scalation, the head, the eyes, everything. So it kind of just pulled you in as something, as being something completely different than a carpet python and a chondro, because there's really nothing like a rough scale python. It is completely all on its own. Yeah. Um, You know, when we were recording this the other day, we, Mm. <clears throat> there's a there's a lot of um, uh, comparisons that can be made between uh, them and Owen Pelly pythons. They're sort of yeah. in the same environment. Um, you know, mm-hmm. obviously one's you know the Owen Pelly's way bigger, but like as we were going through and talking about some of the natural history, we realized that uh, you know that there's a lot of similarities between them. I know Pelly's not saying that they're related or anything like that. I'm just saying like we're some of the this right now. Owen Pelly's and rough scales need to be off in their own little section all by themselves. According to Eric. <laughs> yeah. So like the Owen Pelly is sort of like today's rough scale. So yes. like for me yeah. and Owen back yeah. in the day, roughies were this dream snake that you would never think about owning. Mm-hmm. Um, although there were some people trying to work with them and we'll get into that way back in the early two thousands. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, 
Owen Pelley's are sort of that same thing now. And John Weigel is sort of the Gavin Bedford. <laughs> well, and that's the thing where it's like everything that we talk about with Owen Pelley pythons happens, um, you know, with uh, everything that's happening right now with Owen Pelley pythons happened with rough scale. Yeah. And probably happened with countless other species, but it's just, this is our little generation's rough scale python is the Owen Pelley python because it was, you know, very some small species. Some small specimens were gathered uh, yeah. or in a small amount. You heard about the people in Australia working with them. You heard about them having success. You heard about them coming into zoos and then potentially coming to United States zoos with the reptile gardens. And then slowly but surely you hear about them making their way into private hands and then becoming available. So Owen Pelly pythons are on that same kind of trajectory, which is why it's always really cool. Because we've talked about this numerous times on the show of what is the hunt. Like, you know, you, you hunt yeah. for this species, you get the species, you're like, yes. And then you're, you're, you're fine and you're satiated. And then like a heroin addict, like, you know, <laughs> need another a fix. month later, you're like, I need something else to chase. And it's just, it's one of those things where, um, you know, Owen Pelly Python is, is, is up on that pedestal and it'll be something that I will chase because I want it. But, um, yeah. For the longest time, rough scales were up there for me, just right up in there. And uh, I was lucky enough for them to be made available to me uh, fairly early on in my breeding career. And yeah. I yeah, jumped, you jumped at on them quick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you didn't I, waste no time. And they're like, it's two boys. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> like, so let me ask this question Were you into them because. Uh, like what, what, what drove you to, to take that plunge? Because they were, they were, they were pretty price. You know, I mean, they're I, not, I they traded, were pretty pricey back then. You know, I traded two possible super caramels and a bunch and about two tigers for the two boys that I got. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And that was, um, 2011, 2012. So yeah, yeah. they were it was, not, it was right at the, right. At the right in there when super caramels were still kind of coming, super caramel jags had just started to be being yeah. made and um nothing was really refined um i could say right now that the super caramels i made back then are nothing you know like compared <laughs> to the shit that's here now like it's yeah. like looking at uh paul's super caramel super hypo i'm sorry yeah anyway um back on track uh, it, it was something I just dove on because I, I wanted something different. I wanted something unique and and cool. And I, I, you know, you you deal with certain species of snakes, and I think we've fallen into that. Where, or at least I have, where I don't want every bin to be. And this is a carpet python that's this color, right? And this is a carpet python that's this color. I want right. different shit, right? You know, I don't want to be that bull python or boa breeder where it's like, oh, another boa, like in, no. So, and they were the different thing, and they were we broke you. We did. I'm so broken. <laughs> I was such a happy. You were man so like I'm 11, so happy 11 coastals. That's all I had was eleven coastals, and I think yeah. a pair of Cali King snakes. And then along comes this horrible <laughs> little hobbit with his ideas of other species are cool, and then I'm yes. yeah. Anyway, um, and they were just that different. They were so different and so unique and far out there it wasn't like oh i have a pretty colored chondro you mine has armor like it is <laughs> <laughs> that's another species that there's kind of similar to uh, they are they're they're they're, they're, they're a, um an armor plated chondro 
you know, and they, they're the bridge. In my opinion, they are the bridge between chondros and other Morelia species. I kind of look, I was thinking about this and I was like, okay, so rough scales and green trees are sister species. So I mm. sort of look at them the same way I look at Bredily <laughs> and, <laughs> and carpets. You know, it's yeah. sort of like they're sister species and they're I so close and they kind of look the same, but they're sort of not. So. Well, think about it this way. I mean, you know, where they are um, in the Kimberley is, I mean, you're, you're closest to getting up towards the Indonesian areas and stuff like that. And um, I mean, it, it makes sense that potentially at one point chondros and rough scales had a common ancestor and at one point, one of them just ended up living in this gorge because the world around it started becoming fucking terrible. So, yeah. and, it's, and it just became a animal suited to survive in this one little oasis in this very harsh landscape. So, yeah. you know, it it took all the fragile, stupid things out of a chondro and made it into an awesome animal. So, yeah. that was just for other buddy that comment right there. That was just for him. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I was, uh, late in the game with the rough scales. Uh, I just, I don't know why I, I, I don't know why since I've been preaching since forever and you were just like, maybe, you know what it is? There. It's, you know, we've said this multiple yeah, times. It's why like do I when, need it? He's got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like one of those things. It's like, okay, well maybe I should position myself to have something different. Right. So that, you know. Well, and I also if love I need it. I go to Owen if I if he needs us, he'll come. I also love it because every once in a while we switch, and it's like like when you did white lips, you're like, I hate these things. Like, <laughs> I did not like white. And lips. You were like, get these, take these things out yeah. of my house. You're like, oh yeah, I don't know why you had them, or yeah. like you know, it's, beautiful it's a, snakes. Oh my yeah. god, when they brought it over, brought them for carpet fest, and I I did a trade or whatever. Yeah, and, I love them. And uh, yeah, the iridescence in the sun was just a beautiful, beautiful. It's mesmerizing. Snakes, but, but again, yeah. it's, you know, you did that for like a hot minute and you were like, no, <laughs> like, and I've done multiple species that I know um, that, that, that you've done. Um, so. Well, I remember coming over to your place, like one of the first times and you had the granite spotted python. And I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. I, like, I, yeah wow. but mine were huge. I'm like, wow, that's like a little tiny python. <laughs> that's so cool. Like, I hate these, and I'm and I'm like, I hate these things. They eat everything, yeah. and apparently, I've killed them because they're huge now. They yeah. were like the size yeah. of ball pythons. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I was like, whoa, I don't. Know. I, again, I know my niche, 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 niche. niche. That was her nipper. Um, so I know where I'm supposed to be, and it's not with dwarf species. Normal because either I overfeed it or I pet it too hard and it breaks. So yes. it's like that's why I can't have geckos. I don't want an animal that's designed to fall apart. So <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean with roughies, um I've seen them, I've seen them uh in person. And then we talked about the other day about the second was it the no, the first carpet fest at your place. Yes. I brought um, uh, um I handed Romulus yes. to my friend Anna, and then I didn't see him again <laughs> like until yes. the sh until things were winding down at two a.m. Somebody yeah. brought him back to me, and I'm like, "Will you please put him away?" Yeah, so, yeah. He made his he made his ways around the uh, his his uh, an adult, around an adult rough scale python is really something 
Very impressive. Cool. Yeah. Eyes, the 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 scalation, the head shield, you know, the the yeah. just really cool snakes. Oh yeah. And <clears throat> I must admit, and I think I said this on a past NPRs, um, when when it when it actually showed up. So I got a, a male from Brett Bender and I got a, a female coming from Nick Mutton. But when I when I got him, mm. it was like I felt like a little kid again looking at like just staring at the snake like oh my god i can't believe this it's, it's here in my, yeah in my house you mm-hmm. know it's just it's so cool uh to be able to say that i have a rough scale python you know i mean yeah yeah it's just uh, cool so i uh i i get it and i think it's one of those animals that you know you can see it in pictures and i don't know if it does it the same justice as seeing it in person it really doesn't because there's really something. I mean, pictures are, are definitely a great way to start so you, because you can see the build and the feel of it, but it's something different of having it in your hands and seeing it in person. Like, you remember we saw the rough scales at Crocosaurus Cove in Darwin? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, mine are too small. And you're like, you're fine. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. And I had a small meltdown. Um, yeah. But you're, it's different seeing it and then touching it and then – it's almost like we, I mean, we've all been to the zoos and things like that, and we've all seen the animals behind the glass. And that's always how far I thought I was going to be with a lot of different species. Right. And it was just something to behold. Like at Crocosaurus Cove, we're like, holy crap, Perenni, and holy crap, an Owen Pelly python. And then, you know, all the different uh, colors of Ackies that I did not know existed, other yeah. than, you know, yellow and red. Um, but it's just like, okay, I figured that's as far as I was ever going to come with these things is, one day I'll make a trip up to the reptile gardens and I'll see them and it'll be awesome. And you know what? If I beg and plead hard enough and bring Eric with me, maybe Terry will let us go behind the scenes and I can touch it. <laughs> and like, touch you know, it. and that's, that's all I thought I'd ever do. And then, I, you know, being offered the, the babies, uh, the, the two boys that I first got was fucking awesome. And then knowing people like Dave D and um, other people that were producing animals and being able to, by myself, you know, uh, a female and, uh, you know, the, the pair that I'm working with now, it's like, that was insane. I never thought I'd get that far. Right. Yeah. And, um, so what we're going to do, um, so we, I, I, we heard, um, an episode, uh, a podcast with um, from Animals at Home, and it had uh, Zach Loafman on, mm. and uh, or Doctor Zach Loafman. Doctor Zach Loafman. Yeah. <laughs> doctor. 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 Um, he uh, and he was talking about um, like natural history and how it can help you, uh, you know, set up an animal and be, um, you know, try to be as successful as you can with that animal and trying mm. to dial in exactly what it needs. So that's sort of what we're going to do with the rough scale python. We're going to we're going to dissect it and talk all about it. And hopefully we'll give you uh, some insight on what makes these guys tick. And if you, you know, maybe you can look into more stuff if you want to learn more, there's not a ton of information out there, but, um, to be honest, though, there's not a ton of information, but there's more information than we fucking had. So I think I think my uh, outline. Oh, and I thought you would like that. I typed I it up real nice for you. I thought, Thank you. you know, it's pretty much everything you can print it and frame it. Possibly want <laughs> <laughs> in a rough scale. If anybody's interested in it, I can always send people copies too. It's not a big deal. But um, 
Anyway, so taxonomy. Let's let's start there. Our start favorite subject. <laughs> and, um, and it may have it might change by the time we get done doing taxonomy. Yeah, but, it's yeah. true. Um, so this is Python that until 1994 was only known from two specimens. So that's two insane. That's insane. Yeah. The fact that that is that it, since 94, only yeah. known by two specimens. Like, yeah. I don't think people appreciate the fact that you can turn your nose up at a rough scale python at a U.S. captive show. Yes. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So both of those were collected in a remote part of the Kimberley during, they were doing some surveys of uh, the Western uh, Australian Museum was doing some surveys and um, the specimens obviously were killed at the time of collection. So they couldn't do any kind of behavioral or ecological data uh, was to figure it out on the- Scientists the are really good about shooting their own foot off with that kind of shit. It's like, yeah, I know. We found it. Murder it. What? Kill it. <laughs> Kill it, it, put it in this jar. <clears throat> if only we knew more about it. Well, we probably could if you didn't just kill it. And like, well, yeah. So, um, you know, just by the head and the body, and um, you know, uh, the keeled uh, nature, the scales, and all this stuff. Um, you know, pretty much, f- they figured out that they have a new species, um, and uh, the taxon was formally described as Morelia carinata in 1981. So, apart from uh, you know, it's color and it's keeled scales, like we talked about. Um, it looks very similar to the green tree python, and it's from the opposite side of Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are closely related. Uh, there was uh, some analysis of uh, mitochondrial DNA, and like I said earlier, it puts them as the sister species to Morelia viridis, and that was done by Rawlings uh, in 08. And according to Rawlings, it was uh, they split about 25 million years ago, which I'm not mistaken, that's right around the time. That the bread lie kind of breadly split off from um, carpets. If so you were going to make maybe it was ten million years ago. I mean, if you were going to make a comparison of the, those species, I would say breadly. Uh, I would say um, rough scale pythons are the the breadly to a green tree python. It makes a lot of sense, especially because if you look at breadly, they're my, very much almost an island species, but yeah. they happen to live in a desert. Yeah. So rough scale pythons are an island species that live in a gorge. Yeah. 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 We, uh, they, um, they, you know, I, I guess the theory is, is that, you know, uh, Australia at that time was, uh, becoming more and more arid. Um, this kind of led to the split between the two. Um, there are some talk that maybe green trees and rough scale should be in their own genus and not in Moralia. I agree, Um, but I will not call it chondropython. It needs to be something else. (laughs) Chondropython carinata. No, no. (laughs) It just don't sound right. No, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't give me a good mouthfeel. Yeah, no. So, I know. Yeah. so that means then that the rough scale python would be the superior chondro. We could right, see that. that. Okay, see now. <laughs> now with now that. I gotcha. Now, now. <laughs> you, you know me too well. Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure if this is going to be covered in the new upcoming complete carpet. Uh, God, I, I know that so. um, it was in the original complete carpet. They, they included rough scale pythons right. with that because they're well, sort of uh, when go Pelly hand Python hand. is in the new one, right? Yeah, so I don't know if they have carpets on pellies and roughies. Man, that's like a swan. Oh, oh my god, man, that's like oh my my god. favorite things all in one book. Oh dear, oh dear, it's in my favorite book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
So maybe we'll learn more about taxonomy or whatever. But as we always talk, you know, taxonomy is fluid and, you know, it depends on if you're a lumper or a splitter or whatever. But that's sort of where they stand right now. Morelia carinata. So the history. So ruffies have a cool story, man. They really, really do. I mean, like out of all the snakes. Badass. <laughs> yeah, it's just their, their story is so cool. And I, I kind of like went you know, meticulously year by year, uh, to try to get it all together. But so, um, basically, uh, the overview is, is beginning in 1993, John Weigel undertook several trips to the Northern Kimberley in search for Morelia Carinata, 10 such trips, mm. uh, with, they were one to four weeks in duration. Um, they were conducted as, uh, and resulted in discovery of 10 rough scale pythons. So can like, you imagine you about- going, can you imagine going? You're no. going to find an animal that has not been seen alive, and the only specimens we have are in jars. That would be like all of a sudden then saying that there's a new carpet python, like some weird spot in Australia where they weren't before. And Eric, you're going to go find them. Like, what? <laughs> it's, 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 it's daunting, and it's insane, and it's freaking amazing. Yeah. I would so be this- on board. I will ride <laughs> underneath the helicopter. Like you don't even need to like strap me to one of the legs. Right. Just uh, be along for the ride. Right. So, yeah. um, so you had the two initial specimens that, mm-hmm. from the Western Australia museum. And then you have the other 10, which was a total of 12 snakes that, uh, that are known at this time. Right. In 1993. So six, right. I thought this was interesting. Um, when they did, um, when, John Weigel uh, did his uh, studies and when he was looking for them, he said uh, six of them were found on rock ledges and mm. in caves, right? Mm. Four of them were in trees and two of them were on the ground. So, Makes sense. Um, I don't know. You, uh, <laughs> you take what you will from that. I mean, you know, um, just like chondros, um, you know, they're sort of um, – you know, thought to perch a lot and be very arboreal. The, the tail is very prehensile. We'll get into that. Um, so two snakes uh, were closely associated with um, fruit-bearing trees. Um, so I guess this would be like, uh, or you know, ambush sites for birds or for mammals, that birds, kind of bats, thing. Things like that, um, yeah. And uh, one snake was rescued from the coils of a 2.2 meter long olive python, which we'll get into that. What a dick. that's a pretty cool story um so yeah we'll we'll get into it so it wasn't until uh 1976 right that's when it was first described by laurie smith uh of uh western australia museum uh that description was based off of a single specimen that was collected um by researcher dr ron johnstone during a 1976 fauna survey of the Mitchell Falls area uh, of the Kimberley regions in Australia's remote Northwest. So this is like a really, really remote area, like hard to get to. Something goes wrong. You're dead. Nobody no there. Help you, or no one will get there in time. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. So, um, so that's 1976. That's two years <laughs> before I was, after I was born. Um, Yes. I wouldn't even hear. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually. um, Now we're talking about Owen's birthday, 1987. 1986, sir. If you want to go buy it. What? Yep. Well, they said like your your description of like when they were finally described in 81. I'm like five years before I was born. Shit. 
<laughs> like it's <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So in June uh, of 1987, a second specimen was found during a nature survey. I was of one. The, <laughs> Kimberley Rainforest by a team from the Western Australia Museum. Um, it was found during a day roosting on the upper tree branch of a large rainforest tree. I, immediately when I hear these descriptions, I'm thinking of our uh, Owen Pelly adventure. Yeah. Um, it was adjacent to a steep cliff. And yep. this okay. was at the yep. mouth of Prince Frederick Harbor. Um, go, hey, dude, you know, you guys were able to talk some sense into me about climbing the tree for the Owen Pelly Python. Right. Rough scale in the tree. I'm not even asking. I'm just going. <laughs> like it's just pick up my broken body and drag me back to camp. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so in May of 19, so that's 1987. So first right. we had 1976, right. 1987, and now we're at May of 1993. So this is the gap between that one that they found and then the next one. So Trent mm. Russell, Russell um, he was a reptile park keeper, found a juvenile, and this was the first living specimen to be photographed, which is kind of crazy. Um, yeah. So in 1994, John Weigel found the young adult suspended in a low shrub. This was thought to be uh, like an ambush feeding position, uh, mm. similar again to, uh, to, to uh, green trees and other Morelia. Um, and what's cool about this is that I have a link and I'll, I'll post it over on the um, uh, NPR Facebook network, Facebook page. Is um, it's uh, or you can look it up too. It's Malcolm Douglas Kimberly Adventure Part One, and they have a video of him and John Weigel finding that snake. It's so cool. Oh, and if you didn't, you can click on that little link that I left in the notes, and it'll take you right to it. I can't. We're doing a show right now. No, not right now. <laughs> um, so that was in 1994. So in 1998, John Weigel was encouraged by Richard Stein to apply for a permit. Um, from the Western Australia uh, Conservation and Land Management uh, to mm-hmm. collect a founder group of rough scales for the purpose of captive study and breeding. It will require three years and three extended trips to secure the targeted five founder specimens that would be, be required to start the program. Um, and it would be uh, three males and two females is what they were looking for. Um, and they didn't find any rough scales on the first trip. <laughs> Which is kind of sucks, but, yeah. especially to go through all that effort and not, and not yeah. But you, you, you like you have the piece of paper like clutched in your hands, like I can keep them now. Yes, and then you don't find any. <laughs> I like, can't you find motherfucker. <laughs> yes, it's crazy. Um, so uh, in May of 1999, um, I think it was a team of eight, uh, six of them from the Reptile Parkwood helicopter into one of the Hunter River tributaries. Um, and after nine days of searching, uh, success was heading south quickly. <laughs> they were like not having any luck at all. Um, so the uh, Australian Reptile Park manager, Rob Porter, took a lunch break. And while casually observing a small bird um, in the foliage above, managed to distinguish the coils of the snake uh, from the tree uh, that it was perched on. So he climbed up the tree. There he goes. Oh, yep, he climbed yeah, up the get, tree. Get up the tree <laughs> he was yeah. not letting that one go. Get that tree. And, yeah. And it was, uh, it was a mature male. Nice. Um, and then, uh, that evening they set out to find another, um, Alf Brighton. Um, he was a uh, new South Wales forestry manager, ignored the opinion of Weigel and searched in the mangrove. So I guess there was some debate on, you know, 
why would you find a rough scale python in the mangroves? Um, why the you know, why would belief yeah. that that was just not the place? Maybe the salt, yeah. whatever the case would be. Um, the, the, you know, just didn't seem, I, I wouldn't think to look there either, but, mm. um, within an hour of searching, uh, he would find a sub adult female and she was lying tightly coiled on the moist mud sand ground, no more than two meters from the nearest man tree. So, wow. so that's kind of wild. Um, I, I in it. 2000, <laughs> I mean, for, to be honest, to be honest, I think it's the, any, any, I think any species of python in Australia is going to take getting food wherever it can get it. So yeah. why wouldn't they be in the mangroves? Why the hell not? Yeah, yeah, well, it's true. Yeah. It, I guess it's like, you know, we have these preconceived notions of what these snakes are doing mm-hmm. or could be doing based on how we keep them in captivity. But we're sort of like we're sort of like only allowing them to be captive and not wild, right. if you will. So they can't. I think you said that, right? You said that yeah. before, I think, one time. Yeah. Um, so you don't really get to see all of those natural behaviors, if you will. So we, we don't know. And all we can do is guess. And, right. you know, you won't know like uh, rock crevices and, you know, cliffs that I totally see that because I totally see them using those scales as anchors to push themselves into cracks. And this way you can't pull them out easily. And right. But, you know, I, I think they're opportunistic. They're going to hit and kill whatever they can get. Whether it be yeah. toads, frogs, fish, bird, mammal. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I agree. <clears throat> so uh, fast forward, uh, 2000. So mm-hmm. a team of four, they set out to find the final three rough scales. Um, ben Tannock, um, he was a manager, and Dr. Dave Pearson. Um, mm-hmm. If if that name stands out to me because he's done a lot of work with um, Richard Shine, Dr. Richard Shine, mm-hmm. with uh, carpet pythons, diamond pythons, and Mercata, stuff like a lot, a lot of work with uh, Australian pythons. So um, he, he, he brought these, um, he, I, I guess they, they called them Elliot traps. Um, and he was hoping to find uh, samples of nocturnal amnal fauna in the area that where they would be working. So, mm-hmm. and additionally, which this is the cool part of the story, Mark O'Shea yep. accompanied them during the first half of the trip, um, along with six members of the BBC film crew. Right. So mm-hmm. finding the snakes, they couldn't find it for two weeks. They looked, they looked, they couldn't find it. I think it was like a thousand man hours of looking for them. Um, and on that final night, um, O'Shea's team uh, of uh, O'Shea being there, um, they were, they were inching, wait a minute. Um, they were, they were doing like, uh, I guess like, uh, the closing, the closing of their, the, you know, because Mark O'Shea, like when he did the difference between him and other, uh, people of the time that did like, I guess like Steve Irwin or like, uh, Jeff Corwin or guys like that is that if, if Mark O'Shea went herping and he didn't find anything, he didn't find he it. He didn't find it. They didn't. They didn't pull a snake out of somebody's no. collection and put it on the ground. Correct. Yeah. Which is why I think Mark O'Shea gets a lot of respect. As yeah. Well right. From that error, dude. Sometimes some... you strike out. I mean, we can sit there yeah. and say we we officially kind of struck out when we went to Texas. Why well, I want to go back? Piss me off. <laughs> so yeah, you know. So they ended up finding mm. um, uh, one. Um, it was on a narrow cliff ledge, um, just above the crown of laden trees. Again, so reminiscent of what we saw with Owen Pelly. Um, 
and it was uh, five and five and a half foot, foot female. Um, she was soaking up uh, the retained heat on the north facing ledge. Nice. Reached for the snake just as she was going into the crevice. Um, again, I just think of that snake, that Owen Pelly switching to the other side and all that stuff. And just, it's just like when I read the story, I have these flashbacks of that, of that trip. It's just, I don't know, so many parallels between the two. So John made his way back to camp where O'Shea, he was shooting the final scene. And like I said, he was saying about how he, uh, didn't find any rough scale pythons in the expedition. And then john weigel just kind of threw the bag in his lap and um held the female and it and it had the female that he just found and um they ended up reshooting that ending and, and you know saying oh look we found it the next night alf uh made a pre-dawn run check to the traps from an overnight uh from his mammal captures and he found out a two meter long olive python okay. in the process of constricting some prey yeah, that prey turned out to be a one meter rough scale python. So he freed the rough scale python, and although it was a bit groggy, and you know, you know how they, I, I'm sure you. I mean, constricting that. constricting can be, you know, I mean, yeah, you, you, we've had that with, um, I've had that with white lips and cow kings when they, when you separate them, they're like, whoa, I'm like yeah, that that went poorly. It's like yeah, dude, <laughs> like so, yeah, yeah, so. Uh, it eventually made a full recovery and um, that male was the fourth specimen of the breeding program. And then five days later, they would encounter a feisty young male as it's described on the ground and tangled in a mass of fig tree root uh, and vines. And um, it was, uh, it was, what was it? Uh, Yeah, it was over the cliff uh, 10 meters overhead. So I guess that one was up in the air too, um, like off the cliffs and stuff. So, Okay, so by 2004, right, after mm-hmm. 17 trips to the Kimberley um, mm-hmm. region of, of Western Australia, um, the Australian Reptile Park team members have managed to locate 10 specimens of the rough scale python. So, wow, that's crazy. So they had their group, um, and uh, yeah, they went to, to get into breeding it, and we'll get into uh, how yeah. they did that and figured mm-hmm. that out. You know, again, the thing with the rough scale is, is this is not a lot of natural history available on it because the place is so remote. Not a lot of people have studied it. Yeah. And most of the information that we know today is all from captivity. So, yeah. And it's really just, it's really just a really crummy place to get to and a really crummy place to, you know, also you can sit there and say, like, well, why doesn't somebody just go out and study? Well, you also need funding for that kind of stuff. And this yeah. isn't one of those easy things where you can study it. And then go stay at an Airbnb later or something like that. You're you're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna be out there, and uh, yeah. you have to bring everything you're gonna need with you, or it's not coming. So, yeah, that's insane. Though, can you imagine? Like, so the ancestors of your rough scale python, yep, had to ride a helicopter out of the Kimberley after being captured by by Waggle. It's crazy. Yeah. And for all you know, that's for everybody. For all you know, the great grandparents, uh, the great grandmother of your rough scale python was that one that they found in the back, like that they put in Marco Shea's lab. Right. How crazy is that? Nuts. It's nuts. Because you, you think about that, I have no idea where my carpet pythons several generations ago were or what happened or where, like all that stuff. So, 100% insane. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about some of the characteristics of uh, 
of the roughies. So one thing about them, uh, size-wise, they're you know the modded size, the carpet python size, you know, two meters, six foot, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. As babies, they start a little bit smaller than carpets. Um, I think they're probably in between. I know when you were telling me this yesterday, but yeah. you've they're seen, small. yeah, you, I've seen dead seen. ones that hatch out of my eggs when I pull them apart and cry. But right. um, it's <laughs> it's. <laughs> so it's like 15 to 17 grams i think is the. i is think the i think that's, I think that's you know i think that's right on the money there there it's not like everybody has that moment when they see a fresh fresh hatch green tree python and you're like holy shit they're tiny because everything that you yeah. assume is a baby green tree python at a show is like a year old like it's right not so um yeah they're really small <laughs> yeah they're really yeah, so um I would say the rough scales are are bigger. I would say that um, I've had ju- I've had carpets hatch out that are about the same size as a baby rough scale, but they're like oh. twins or runts or something like that. So your small end of carpets is right around your big end of rough scales. So right. my fear is if you get twin rough scales, what the fuck does that look like? The Green corn tree. snake, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pygmy python, it's an anthill python. Oh god, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but they, the, out of Morelia, they're one of the ones that do not have a, an ontogenic color change. I'm not sure why, I guess maybe I was thinking about that and I'm thinking like, maybe it has to do with the fact that, you know, you live, they stay in that mm-hmm. sandstone, rocky outcrop, mm-hmm. uh, environment. So there's no need for them to be a different color. Whereas with maybe with, uh, green trees, um, you know, they're down more in like that, um, lower to the ground type of uh, vine thickets and stuff, you know, so mm-hmm. maybe it's blending in with the flowers and stuff like that. that would I be mean, they're, they're designed to blind into the rocks from birth. Yeah. And also again, is, is you got to keep, you got to think about Carinata as an island species. They're so interbred that, you know, you might get some pattern changes, but everything's going to be pretty much uniform. It's like, it, it's, you know, because they're des- they've designed to live there. Anything that might be different isn't going to survive in that kind of a harsh environment. So, not really a lot of room for, you know, variation. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So, they're they're basically like a brownish. Um, you know, they have some white, pale, brown blotches. Uh, blotches become larger as they go towards the tail. The pattern, uh, you know, appears to be reversed, I guess. The lips uh, and the ventral surface are a cream color. Um, the interesting thing is they have no black pigment. Nope. That None. Interesting. Yep. Know? Just brown um, and cream color. And there is some variation, and we're starting to fuck around with, like, ooh, stripes. Like, that's. Thing. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't want, I don't want their, like, I think that, I think the worst thing would be is if we had a genetic mutation in, uh, Caranata. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. agree. 100%. I don't want to deal with that. They have a slender build, but they, they, they have a big wide head. Like right? it's, it's, it's like someone took a scrub head and put it on a chondral body. It's just, it's yeah. mostly head. And it's, we all talk about like an arrow shaped head in a carpet python. This thing is so pointed and and so big at the back end. It is, it it, it it's almost leans more towards a green tree python in the way that it's designed. And I would almost see them sit like a you know one of those um 
God damn it. A Rubiox when they get that huge kind of a muscly head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, like that, but this, yeah. the, these are naturally occurring. Yeah. Right, because they're the dragon. They shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the tail, like I said, is extremely prehensile. Um, and the, obviously, anything. like other Morelia, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the characteristics of the genus Morelia. Um, and they're considered, to, <laughs> they're considered to be nocturnal and uh, mostly arboreal. So, um, you know, it, and we, we, I, didn't, we didn't talk about this with the natural history, but what he was telling me the other day is that when the guy found the first one in that cave, he thought it was a carpet python. And it's yes. like, it's like, were scientists back then just like, no, another carpet python? It's like, no, they're different. And like, this yeah. is why we have such problems now. Not everything's a carpet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for. They call them crappets, but everything not, is one. <laughs> I have such problems now. It's like not everything's a carpet, but um, they're very cool. And, and I find with my guys, they are really, really good at shoving themselves underneath things, in between things. Um, they're like crevices. They're like cracks. They're like up being up high. They like uh, pretty much uh, they'll sandwich themselves under cork bark or in between cork bark. Uh, when they were babies, I gave them cork bark tubes. And the male never left it. Like he ate out of that tube and like he basically just lived in it, which right. is, you know, great until he's so big that I never see him. Like I need him out of there every once in a while. So, um, right. Remember that. Yeah. There, there's, there. just, yeah so one like thing I noticed, and I'm curious of your thoughts with this. One thing I yeah. noticed, and again, I only have the one and I've only had it for a little while, but like, Every time I have it, so I have it with perching that's in in the tub and whatnot. Mm. But it does. Uh, I call it scrub python, right? It always just telescopes straight up. Yep. It's like trying to go up, up. constantly. Yep. Like wherever, I, like carpets sometimes do that, but with this, with this, every time I good. take it out. Yep. Up. Um, up is good. Up is safe. But here's the other thing: is that I I used to have um, chondro perches in with the babies when they were tiny, right? And they hated them. They never mm-hmm. sat on them. They never did anything. It's when I moved them up to bigger cages and gave them like those big spider vines and stuff like yes. that. Yes. And larger they like sticks, a couple points. They like they like a ledge. They like a it's almost like a hammock thing, like what we saw in that Darwin. Uh-huh. They like being at a point where it's not a thin little thing. They like to drape over rocks and large sticks. They want support. So right. they they won't sit like a chondro on a little like twig. They'll uh-huh. drape like a freaking scrub or a, a carpet along these big branches and they'll just lay there. Gotcha. So it's kind of like uh, multiple multiple contact points is yep. like what they're looking for? That's yeah. why I, I have the rock shelves in my guys' cages. Right. And they will crawl up on top of those and just drape across those. Oh, gotcha. And then I also have the ceiling hide, so they'll go in there. And then when I'm pulling the ceiling hide out, they'll actually puff up their body to make it harder for me to pull the hide out. So that, that just tells me that they like, that's their way of staying in crevices and cracks and things like that. Gotcha. Um, probably the thing that they're most well known for um, is the keeled scales. So they are a rough um, scale python. <laughs> one of the um, thoughts, uh, well, like why do they have keeled scales? Uh, and I think it was uh, John Weigel that sort of, uh, said that uh, he believes it's uh, camouflage. Um, you know, he thinks that, um, you know, they, 
if they because the keeled scales um there's a, a similar ecological advantage uh, that uh, they have said about rattlesnakes um with keeled mm-hmm. scales um you know they reflect light differently than than smooth scales do um so making them p- appear less reflective so i would imagine that since they're nocturnal uh, maybe whatever's would would eat them at night. Those keeled scales are sort of making them blend into that environment, like uh, um, just disappear. Um, you know, um, you know. I, I don't know. I would buy that. I would say that they're probably one of those things that it has a multi-purpose. Well, yeah, that was the other thing. It's yeah. probably what you're going to say next. So go ahead. Yeah, the other thing is that I think it's an anchor. You know, yep. they they jam themselves into those rock crevices. I know certain monitor species, gecko species, things like that. Yep. They use those keeled scales to make it harder for you to get them out of those rock crevices and to hold on. You know, if these are animals that are going to dangle off rocks and tree surfaces to nail an animal and pull it back in, they want to make sure that they're they're pretty much cleated in and they're not going anywhere for when they jump out and, and hit their prey. So I would say that they're that that's I would say that it's like that, but I can see the uh, less reflective. I can see the uh, camouflage. I can see that it gives you a little bit more armor plating. I mean, there's a lot of that it could do, but um, I would say that that's uh, it's a multi-purpose kind of a deal. Yeah, and um, there's a there's a there's a couple venomous species that sort of have uh, keeled mm-hmm. scales that uh, sort of have it. But uh, I know I'm probably going to butcher this, but um, Hoplocephalus. Um, Perfect. I love it. How about you, Nipper? <laughs> you good? Yeah, I know. Uh, and Tropodiphus site? Uh, what do you think? Did I say that right? Oh, mm-hmm. I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to let you okay. go out there on your own and die. Uh, I'll, I'll um, yeah. So, yeah, apparently they have keeled scales too. And um, some of the, the articles that I read kind of compared them to the two. Um, and, uh, I would say that it's, it's a lot like a pine snake kind of keeled scale deal. Like it. It, 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 it is, I would say it's more pronounced. Right. Um, I've never, you know, held anything like a soft scale viper or anything like that. Um, but I would say that theirs are probably larger of a keel. Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's something, it's different. Yeah. Well, I love them. <laughs> it's yeah. not. It's definitely of, cool. Yeah. Out of all my pythons, they're the only ones that are bumpy. Like it's. <laughs> And it's different than the Angolan python. Um, yeah, that's a beaded that. scale. It's almost yeah. like uh, they're almost like kilo monsters. Yes, kind of a deal, which is weird. Yeah, Angolans um, are weird. Yeah. Uh, so the next thing that comes to mind when you think of rough scales is their teeth. Um, <laughs> they're similar to GTPs, right? They have uh, long teeth, and <laughs> they have the longest a- anterior uh, maxillary teeth of any python species. So, yeah, it is long, it is recurved, and they have a lot of them. I mean, like, it, it, you fail to see, you fail to think about just how many teeth a python has until you open up their mouths, and then right. you see them all. And with rough scales, because they're so long and pointed, you see them all. Like, and it's just like, dear God. So, um, they have a lot of teeth. And my thinking upon that is just that they, they don't want to be out in that sun. So they want to make sure that whenever they grab something, they can pull it back to where they were hiding or wherever they are and just make sure that thing doesn't get away. Whether it's a frog or, uh, you know, a toad 
um, or one of those crazy ass mice that live in that area. Well, yeah, the, the, so, you know, they're, they're wondering like, why do they have these teeth? And then I think originally, uh, Weigel was saying that he thought it was because that they ate a lot of birds. Right. And, um, it turns out that, um, Dr. Pearson, um, was setting those traps and, mm-hmm. um, he came across this, um, rock rat, right? So it's like a Kimberly rock rat. And, um, he noticed, I guess when he was trying to, I don't know if he's trying to, whatever he's trying to do, maybe he's trying to release them, whatever. Right. Um, they sort of, uh, they, they sort of got loose from him and what they left is, uh, is two patches of fur and the skin came off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was then sort of putting two and two together. His thinking was, is that basically rough scales and this rock rat are sort of in this, uh, evolutionary arms race. Um, like, you know, they're have these long teeth so that maybe they can get a better hold of that, of that rock rat. Uh, so it doesn't escape. Um, and they just evolve to sort of like, right. And the rock rats, rock rats are evolving to shed their skin because that's how they live. So it's, you're right. It's, it's an arms race, but I would say that that's why the rough scales have those long fish hooks is just to to hold on. Otherwise you're losing it, whether it is like. We, the things we just named, frogs are pretty quick. They jump all over the place. You yeah. know, a bird, uh, that the bird's going to not give you a second chance. Same thing with bats. Right. And those rock rats are even harder. So they've evolved to have all the necessary tools to survive in a place where the prey is fast, the prey is quick, and uh, you have to be right on it. So, yeah. um because that's the other thing is that, you know, with, with as harsh as this environment is, the food cycle for these guys has got to be nuts. You know, I know we oh, talked yeah. the other day that um, I was watching something, uh, the David Attenborough thing that you were talking to me about, um, about the uh, spider tail viper. Yeah. The thing only eats when birds are migrating through, like, Afghanistan, Syria, or wherever the hell it is. Um, right. I think it's actually Iran. I'm sorry. It's Iran. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it only eats when the birds are migrating through Iran. So... During that, say, a couple weeks, it's eaten as many birds as possible because then they're gone for a very, very long time until they're migrating back. Then it has to eat as many birds as possible because they're gone again. So I would say that it's got to be a lot like this thing is where rough scale pythons have got to be eating when the weather's nice because come monsoon season, nothing's going to be out with the amount of rainfall that's hitting this place. Right. And... You know, one of the other um, things that uh, roughies are known for with their teeth is their defensive um, breath display, like the predator. Breath display, <laughs> you know? um, which I, I've seen other snakes do it, but it's it's not different. It's very intimidating. Different does it, man? It's like well, I mean, we've all had that one carpet python just very, very mad at us and his open mouth hissing at us. Yeah, it's different. Rough scales they'll flare out the bottom jaw. Right. So they show you all the teeth. And it's one of those things of like, a lot of times it's silent too. So it's like, they're just maintaining (laughs) eye contact with you and then showing you all their teeth. And then that's it. And it's like, do you, do you want to keep going? Cause this is what I will use to hurt you. And it's like, all right, I'm good. Right. So it's, I've only ever seen it. Is it like one of those things? Twice? Twice. And what, twice, what, twice. what brought it on? What do you think brought it on? 
Okay, so the first time is when uh, I got my first two boys. They were delivered to me during uh-huh. a snowstorm, and the guy put a uh, mitten oh, warmer in there. Oh, my God. Yes, oh, my that. God. You want to talk about Owen being stressed? Oh, my God. I thought I thought they were dead. When yeah. I pulled them out, I thought they were dead. Uh-huh. And the way I saw that they were still alive is one of the males did the threat display. I'm uh-huh. like, oh, my God. And, like, and then I... I filled up a giant bottle of hot, hot water. I brought like 80-hour heat packs. I literally put these two little baby pythons on top of this Fiji bottle of water. It was filled with hot water, and I just put them on top of it. And they just sat there. And they just slowly started coming back. They started flicking their tongues. They started looking at me. They started kind of moving around a little bit. Once they started really going, I put them back in their deli cups. And I put them back in their box, but I had like two 80-hour 80 80 heat packs in there with them. Okay. So I was I was cooking the hell out of them. I right. was, oh my God, I was nearly, oh, oh I would have been sick. I would have walked into the ocean with rocks in my pocket. <laughs> like it would have been, oh, anyway. But that was the first time I saw the threat display. And I'm like, uh-huh. and it's one of those like in the heat of the moment, I didn't, I like, didn't care. wasn't even looking. Later on, I'm like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> like that's what it was. Yeah. And then the second time is when my, um, when the pair that I have now was a little bit older, and I moved them from the bins into uh, these two by two cubes, uh, chondro cubes, arboro cubes. Right. I went downstairs one night to look at to check for carpet breeding and stuff like that, and I had a flashlight, and I rounded the corner and I surprised my male, and he snapped back from like a hunting position and flared out his mouth. Oh, and I'm wow. like, Oh shit. Like, and it was one of those things where it happened so quickly. Right. Like, it's very hard to get a picture of unless you have somebody there to just take a picture of it. Like it's, it's one of those things that they, they don't really sit there with the mouth totally open all the time. Cause they'll uh-huh. sit there and they'll show it and then they'll slowly start closing it. So um, it's, it's not, it's hard to get a photograph of. So everybody should appreciate all the, photographs that we have in it because people probably had to try a very long time to piss off a lot of snakes yeah so, and it's would, really hard to piss them off it really is yeah they're pretty mellow from um you know my you know again my, my experience with them is right my my funny. one male had like a he, he had an infection in his mouth because he put his tooth through his um gums or something like that right and every time i cleaned out his mouth he did not once throw show throw, throw the threat display he didn't once bite me. He didn't do any of that kind of stuff. If I've ever been bit by a rough scale, it's because they missed the food. Right. So what? What I've heard that before. Like mm. they just put their tooth through their gum. Is it like? They, they, well, the problem is that the teeth are so long. Yeah. That every once in a while, they'll bite their gums or they'll bite their lip or they do that other thing. And then it happens with carpets all the time. They'll they'll hook their lip over their tooth or something like that and they'll look stupid right. for a while. Right. It's harder for the rough scales to kind of correct it. Right. Um, and sometimes they'll like tear the lip and if it heals stupid or it's infected, okay. like what, what happened with my boy, um, you end up having to, you know, clean it out and make sure it stays clean. Otherwise you're going to get mouth rot and shit like that. Right. So I would, I would imagine it's a lot like keeping a frilled dragon, right? I would imagine that the coolest thing about the frilled dragon is that it's all, that it puts its frill out, but for the right. most part. When it's just normal and everything. it doesn't do that. Yeah, if you're, if you're doing it, if you're keeping the animal correctly and happy, it yeah. won't do it. Yeah. It's like how if I got a basilisk lizard and mm-hmm. I fill up my tub and throw the freaking lizard at the tub, it's just going to sink in the water. It's not going <laughs> to run across it like I want it to. Right. Uh, 
Yeah. Or was so, the um if we throw the <laughs> we throw the flare to we throw the uh, paradise flying snake off the roof will it fly? <laughs> I mean <laughs> what do we call it? Wheeler? We, we, we wheeler if we wheeler the paradise flying snake off the roof, will it fly? It will it fly. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean imagine oh. that. That'd be one of those you do it and then you'd be like, look at it. It's so awesome and majestic and in Eric's neighbor's yard. Like, it's just <laughs> shit. And then we have to all run down and try to get it. Like, yeah, it's right. Oh, no, the dog has it. What yeah, exactly. Do? Like, so it, the thing is, is that if you see the rough scale, do it. it, it consider it lucky. It's awesome. And now, I don't say, like, Eric, you shouldn't go trying to surprise your baby rough scale. <laughs> like, don't whip open the bin and be like, ah, <laughs> like, it's it'll probably just stare at you most of the time. Gotcha. So, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, another thing that they're known for, which uh, again, uh, similar to uh, the Owen Pelly, is that they change color. You did not have this picture in with the last set. Holy shit! Yeah. Right. The one below. Oh my yeah, god. Cool, right. So they they change from light to dark. Uh, it's in a relatively short amount of time, right? And uh, it's not well studied why they do this, but um, John Weigel mentioned that he observed this. Um, they turn like this uh, ghostly silver light color in the early hours in the night. Um, and then as the night progresses, they turn to a dark brown. Um, it's got to it's gotta be. dormant sitting on a, I don't know. Yeah. It's got to be moonlight or something like that because I've, I've, I've seen my rough scales when the lights turn off. They don't turn silver. Right. You know, you know what I'm doing this summer? I'm just going out the backyard <laughs> with my rough scales. And see what the fuck I'm going to wander around in my backyard. Right. Unless he's like, the fuck are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to turn the rough scale silver. Leave me be. Like, yeah, it's... Right. So the other, um, the other uh, interesting thing about them is their head scalation. Yeah, that's a great picture of the one right there. That's right. I mean, you can't get any better than that. Yeah. Um, they just have this round frontal head shield. Yeah. Head shield. It's just uh, not sure why. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've seen say why. I mean, I've seen large scales of like I've seen chondros that have big scales right in between the eyes like that, but they're not that huge. They're also not like pronounced. It just almost is like there are some larger ones in that area, but that that is pronounced, and that is I don't even I can't even say that why that's there. It serves no purpose. It's not harder than the rest of the scales around it. It's not like it's armor or anything like that. Um, the hell if I know pretty much. Yeah. I don't know either, but uh, it's, it's very cool. It's very uh, unique uh, to them as far as pythons go. Um, so yeah. Uh, cool stuff. So as far as their sexual dimorphism, um, females are bigger, males are smaller. Next, pretty much. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. uh, the only thing that I that I that I picked out from from that was yes. um, the the spurs of yep. adult males are smaller uh, relative to the body length um, than you would see in other Australian pythons. I mean, when you're that badass, do you really need big spurs? I mean, come on, <laughs> fine. Um, uh, they do differ though. Um, between them and uh, Morelia Viridis, um, when uh, which they have very large spurs in males. So my point, again, they're not they, cool. they, 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 yeah, cooler, my cooler, point. Bigger, you gotta uh, you, you gotta spur. be flashy with your big spurs. I mean, come on now. <laughs> yeah, man. yeah. Um, 
So I don't know, man. You know, when I was a kid, that was yeah. like telltale sign of like male. male. You know, but, but like, you can't do that because how many times? You, like, you remember? I, did I ever tell you the one time I brought Venus to a reptile show? No, I brought Venus to a reptile show, and this is like she's she at this point she has like four clutches under her belt, uh-huh. and somebody's like, "That's a male." I'm like. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not. He goes, you can tell by the tapered tail. I'm like, it's a female. He goes, I don't know who told you that. I'm like, Paul Harris. And he's like, he's like, I don't know who that is, but that's a male. I'm like, cool. And I just pulled up my phone and I had like pictures of her laying her last clutch. I'm like, that's real weird, dude. Like, I don't know why she (laughs) would be be laying eggs. eggs. (laughs) Like, I don't bite me, dude. Like, of course, there are certain ways you can tell. But sure. you got to understand is that certain animals, even in the species, are going to be exceptions to those rules, kind of like that. Like, yeah, oh, I know, long, thin, tapered tails usually means male. I have at least five females that have very long, tapered tails. They're all proven. Like right. they've all laid eggs. I've seen it. So, I mean, it, it, like the same thing with you. Like I have some males that have huge spurs. I have ones that not really. Right. So. Um, so where are they from? What's the distribution, distribution map makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this little dot it's up in like, the I'm like, where are they? Oh, is that like a little mistake? Oh no, that's the range. Like, Did somebody it's... spill something? Oh my this? god, no. <laughs> so they're found in these monsoon forests. You know how bad it is. Oh. It's like, oh, and if you ever want to see your dream species in the yeah, wild, you have to this is there. the one place you can go. Right. And even then. You might not see You might it. not see them, yeah. Uh, Unless you're taking four weeks trips. Um, oh, God. Uh, if if I ever won the lottery, that would be what I would do. I would, uh, we would, we would be on oh, an yeah. expedition. The oh, NPR yeah. network would be on oh, an expedition. God, yes. I'm quitting my job and we're going. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so they're found in monsoon uh, rain, uh, forest uh, in these gorges. Um, mm. And they're from the northwestern portion of the Kimberley District in Western Australia. That's <sighs> it. That's all that uh, known. Uh, so there, very few not, specimens have been observed. Yeah. There's nothing. And uh, most of them being from uh, various gorges uh, of the Mitchell and Hunter Rivers. Um, there was one report of one of them off an island off the off the coast there. Uh, mm. On this biggie island, um, my so, island locality. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to get me some biggie island locality um, rough scale. I, I hate the name. <laughs> so <laughs> it's hard to say that definitively that they're only from this area because that's such a hard area to get to. You that, know, uh, maybe there's you know well, I don't Riley know. Riley and I are running into this problem with Collierford Corner, where it's like the. Uh, they're listed as a threatened species. It's like, oh, right. well, how much research has been done? None. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, um, we can only really find them in one area, but where we find them is harsh as hell, so nobody's gone up there to study it. So we don't know. Could be more, could be less, but according to our numbers, they're clearly threatened. It's like, but we don't know. I would think that the – that so – with Owen Pelly pythons, they're mm-hmm. more from like the, you know, uh, Nerlangi type of uh, area. And yeah. <clears throat> I would I would almost bet to think that it, it's possible, you know, that Owen Pelly's would be um, in that same spot in the, in the Kimberley. Kind of um, head over towards the Kimberley. I mean, because it's possible. 
I mean, they're hard to find anyway. I mean, uh, there's the, the environment's almost exactly the same. I mean, know, there's so. Darwin, and it just kind of goes down the coast. I mean, the problem yeah. is you dip down. Like, let's say that Australia didn't dip down that way, and it was just flat across from Darwin to to Kimberley. I, I could totally see that. It's just that how far down do you go, and how much of a difference in uh, temperature is that dripping dipping down that way? Dipping down, what do you mean? Like, uh, like the coastline. Coastline goes down towards oh. north south. So, um, no, I don't think. I think it's pretty much. Well, if you look at the, we'll get into that. Um, yeah. It's pretty much uh, identical to what Darwin. you would find in Kakadu and Nerlang. Well, maybe, maybe they do get down that far. Maybe they did at one point, or again, maybe nobody's really done the studies, and maybe there is uh, some sort of Kimberly, um, Owen Kelly Python. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. So, Does it look uh, different than the ones over in uh, Darwin? I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe if you're feeling, uh, if yeah. people are feeling crazy and you want to take on something. Uh, yeah, Northern Territory, Owen Pelly Pythons versus, you know, Kimberly, Owen Pelly Pythons. Right. Okay. And and with that thinking, is it possible that roughies could have more of a, a, a wider range? Yeah, I guess. No, I, don't I mean, I, I imagine they're a kind of species that maybe they'll follow the river. So if they live on in these gorges, they'll disperse all the way down the river. So depending on how far the river goes until it changes or becomes inhabitable or they run into something that's bigger, badder, and rules that area, maybe they can follow the entire river down the gorges. Yeah, if you um, if you look up, uh, if you Google like the Kimberly, mm. um, Mitchell uh, Plateau, um, anything like that, you'll get a you'll get an idea of what this environment looks like. But it's like these huge rock walls with like these little, um, you know, I guess during the the wetter season that these, the, I would assume that you know that sort of dries up a bit uh, mm. between the wet and the dry, but. Um, you know, they have these little pockets of, uh, you can see on that bottom picture, Owen, mm-hmm. these like little monsoon uh, forest. Um, and it's it's funny how Morelia is always sort of like, they're always, no matter what species we're talking about, it's always like these like pockets of trees mm-hmm. along water courses and like, and it, even if it's dry at the top, like they sort of just hang out in these areas. I would imagine that's a good spot what, for yeah. all the prey to come. What um, do you need? You need water. Water. You know what else <laughs> needs water? The food. So right. you need, number one, Check. water. Number two, a place to hide. So that when Check. food comes, you can kill it. Check. So got it. <laughs> all I pretty much need. And you right. know what? Because it's a good spot, the females will show up. And then we can make, and that's all, that's it. Done. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, you can, you can see, um, you know, it's, it's very, it's a lot of those pictures. Don't, don't it remind you of what we saw in like Kakadu and stuff? It's like that. Kakadu with water. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's Kakadu in a lake. Like it's the waterfalls are gorgeous. This is how I get killed by a freshwater crocodile because I'm just not paying attention <laughs> and wandering in. into like knee high water going like, Ooh, rough scale python and then dragged in, uh, you know? Okay. Well, it could be worse. It could be a salty. <laughs> I, think, I think salty would be better. It's over quicker. Just quick. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it just grabs me and slams me down like a freaking piece of meat, and then I'm done. Right. Fresh, you just gnaw on me for a little bit. So, so, uh, so um, uh, I went to Weather Spark. Um, <laughs> 
uh, and uh, I looked up. You uh, went insane. Got it. (laughs) The weather patterns. um, And obviously they don't have it for the Western Kimberly, but they have an East Kimberly uh, airport, which is sort of a Well, this is sort of a point that's brought up, right? A lot. Like a lot of people will sort of like look to these uh, weather apps and weather information and all this, uh, you know, to sort of get an idea. But, you know, we're not talking about the same thing. And right. That's, an airport that's step one. To, yeah, that, you know. Step one is try to get close. But you need to understand is that this is an airport in East Kimberly. We're talking about West Kimberly in a gorge during the middle of a monsoon. Like right. you, you need to. And also with, with Australia, like when we were looking for the Mertens monitors and we found all those fruit bats and stuff like that, it can be like 110 degrees. And then you go underneath the tree line into a yeah. pocket where there's cold water running and it just clicks to like 70 degrees. And you're like, Oh my God, this is comfortable as shit. Like, and it's just because the temperature outside is that temperature doesn't mean that's what your reptile enjoys being in. So right. when the cage hits 110 degrees, its instinct is to get the fuck out of there until the temp drops down enough for it to survive. So you know, it, they're going to go hide in places where they might maintain a uh, core temperature of, might think, try to maintain a temperature of 70, 80 degrees. Right. Yeah. It's, um, if you look at what's interesting, I found mm. when you look at it all, like sort of like how I have it lined up, right. Yeah. It gives you the overall at the top. And yeah. You can just sort of see like right in that middle mm. where it's just hot. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking drops, you know? Um, oh and, uh, God. Where it's May. cool and comfortable is sort of like from May to about September, right? Yeah. Um, and and like they have words like sweltering. In yeah, that is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so it's it's like sweltering would be ninety five and four above. p.m. It's sweltering. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. It's and that hot gives... by four p.m. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that stays uh... all the way to eight o'clock. Yeah. It's kinda... Like that doesn't make any sense. Normally, like I mean, summertime here. Four o'clock, it starts getting more towards like twilight, a little bit like that. By right. seven, eight o'clock, you still maybe have some light, but it's like that's the cool. Like that's yeah. when you're outside with a fire. That's like you know, it's still hot as shit. It's like ninety-five, eighty-five degrees at eight o'clock at night. Yeah, I think I have. Hold on, let me look this up. Real quick. Oh, it gets more comfortable around seventy-five, eighty-five degrees by midnight. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's kind of crazy it's it's kind of yeah crazy. from about noon time to about 4 p.m it is above 95 degrees yeah so um yeah there's no no chance in hell a snake's gonna be out at that time maybe a monitor even then like that that remember that um that one monitor we found in darwin where it was like it spent five seconds on the asphalt and then in the sun and it was already kind of overheating. Right. Oh yeah. 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 So the wet season is, is sweltering, oppressive and overcast and the dry well, that's season just is funny shit. Oh my partly God. Cloud, you know? Um, and over the course of the year, the, the temperature varies between 60 degrees Fahrenheit and a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Um, it gets cool. Um, which is about 65 degrees Fahrenheit in July for a little bit. And then yeah. after that, it's <laughs> right yeah. back to comfortable, which is about 65 to 70. My yeah. God, this is horrible. So, yeah, right. like that, 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 that asks me why they stick close to water. 
it's going to be a little bit cooler and you can live. Yeah. And humidity, um, when is, uh, you know, yeah, you're looking at, um, basically, you know, from January to about mid March, yes. it's, it's called miserable. <laughs> <laughs> On the, on the chart on the wow um and uh it, you know another cool thing that i thought when i was finding this out is like uh just the length of time uh mm. of the day so and we sort of talked about this when we did this the first time but mm. um when we herp in in the u.s right yeah. especially during the summertime right you, mm. you you know you're looking at the sun going down seven eight o'clock eight thirty something like that depending yeah. on where you are and it depended on what part of the summer you're in right but um, once that sun goes down, you know, uh, you're going to see action all night long, yeah. you know. Um, and I think there's a little bit of a buildup uh, mm-hmm. because uh, – Things wake up, have, move around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like when we were herping in West Texas, we were out till like 3 o'clock in the morning uh, herping. You talk about how Justin is a machine and he just like, – Yeah, I know, right? We passed yeah, all of us. Uh, and- he just keeps <laughs> driving, man. <laughs> I'm glad we don't. I'm glad we don't have to talk with him. He's on next week. Son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's actually tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> um, and um, in Australia, what's 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 odd is is that it it gets darker way earlier. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you're looking at uh, you know you're looking at like it it's what would that be. So you're looking at like it's it's basically there. It's like you're looking at twelve twelve, right? Twelve twelve, yeah, it's twelve twelve right across the board. Finally, I found a species that my my daylight cycle is actually what it's supposed to be. You but know? the sun, you know, in June, right? The yeah. sunset is at five p.m. <laughs> you know, it's it's like it's winter. It's like winter. Yeah, here. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like I right now, the sun. That. Yeah, it, dude, it's the reversal. Yeah. You got to yeah, understand that. Yeah, now, yeah. like, thank God we like. I'm I'm just happy with all these charts that you didn't like do moonrise or other stupid shit. Oh shit, the it's moon's right there. in there. <laughs> Keep going. Oh, oh, shit, it's right there. Moon yeah. phases. Why yeah. is this a thing? Um, so right. I would imagine that um, them being nocturnal, uh, their prey being nocturnal. Mm-hmm. Um, that the moon would probably affect that a lot. Maybe like you said earlier, maybe the, uh, the reason why they turned that color is, uh, maybe to help with blend that. hide, you know, you know, who knows, but that um, <laughs> I had, I found the humidity one for it's muggy, oppressive, miserable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you want to, if you want to get a feel for what's going on in their environment, uh, go to weather spark, uh, dot com and just put in uh, the Kimberly and uh, you'll see what we're talking about. Again, Even then, though, this is still this is still East Kimberly, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is this is the closest, but it's not I, too far. But it's, it's not fucking horrible at like the airport in East Kimberly. Yeah. <laughs> this like, do you remember when we landed in Darwin and I was in jeans and I'm like, this was a poor decision. <laughs> like, it was, what did I do? What have I done? Don't let me get on the plane in jeans. Oh dude. no! Like, go change now. <laughs> We, yeah. we will freeze in America. <laughs> yeah, get I know. Yeah, I remember we came back at like two in the morning and I was wearing shorts and I'm like, all right. <laughs> it was like, yeah. Oh, so God. I don't know what the best time, if you were going to herp here, 
right? I don't know. It looks to me like as far as like if you're mm-hmm. looking as I would imagine that it's probably going to be difficult to get there with the rain. Right. Um, and if you look at the rainfall chart, you know, um, you're looking at like pretty much May. Uh-huh. May, okay. To September good. 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 is kind of no. like where there's no rain. <laughs> okay. So, so there is a, this was a discussion that happened in the McIntyre household yesterday. Okay. Um, an October wedding. Eric, Rob, and I go to Australia in October. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> she's like, well, she's like, well, well, when are you guys not going to go to Australia? I don't know. I have to talk to Rob. <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I cannot marry you. I can't, like, I can't do that. I can't, like, listen, honey. She's like, well, we're going to do it in 20, we're going to do it in like in, 2022 i'm like well we're gonna go to kimberly in 2022 <laughs> it's like oh no. I'm, like, I'm i'm walking this razor's edge of i'm about to get into a very dangerous conversation here yeah. of what's more important and i don't want to do this so i'm like well we'll figure it out and we'll you know we'll discuss it with rob and eric you know, <laughs> you think you're going to get off enough time to do both the wedding and australia we'll be fine <laughs> like yeah so his voice is getting higher and higher. Because <laughs> last thing I want to be is, you know, I, I, I get, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I, I really, I, I mean, in your position, sir. No, no, I, I, yeah, uh, no, no. It like I, I'm like, you know, we can do a fall wedding. I just have to know when, not that I won't that I'll be in Australia, and then we, you know, we'll figure it out. So yeah, that's maybe uh, she'll want to go to the Kimberly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> She wants to go to Sydney, and that's about it. Like, uh, well, you see some cool stuff there. She'll, she'll maybe come rough it with us once, but like to the Kimberly, no, <laughs> too rough, too rough. Well, she'd go and be a nice trip, and she'd be like, "That was a fun day. Let's leave now." <laughs> <laughs> are, are we there yet? Like, are we there yet? <laughs> that was like it's like how like she would go to Kakadu and Erlangi and things like that, and it'd be really cool. But then she wants us to return to like civilization or something like that at some point. Right. So yeah, I think okay. Darwin is the best I could get out of her, but okay. yeah. Right. Well, you'll be sure to see uh, some water pythons and some, uh, some, <sighs> some carpets. You don't want to go back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Rough scale python show. Sorry. Yes. 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 So, yes, yes. Uh, so let's talk about uh, feeding, right? So <laughs> we don't really know. Um, well, we do know that they ate these rock rats in, um, in the wild, right? Right. Other than that, we really don't know too much about what they eat. Um, you know, uh, but uh, when they were first brought into captivity, Mm. they were all birds and they didn't have much luck. Um, but it wasn't until they tried this, uh, uh, hopping mouse. Um, (laughs) and it's this little tiny mouse looks like a hopper. Um, oh and, yeah, it's a little kangaroo mouse kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, they 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 took off after that like you know like crazy. So again, I think they're just they're opp- opportunistic feeders, and I think um, I have had my guys eat chicks, and but a lot of times they'll just eat like my female only eats mice. So, but she'll eat like three or four of them at a time. So apparently when they had uh, the captive bred hatch- hatch- hatchlings, right, mm-hmm. trying to get going, um, mm-hmm. they, in Australia, they, they used uh, a species of uh, striped marsh frogs and they would rub the, uh, the rodent with that and that would seem to get them going. I, which, I'm, makes sense. Yeah, I, the only bad part about that is the cane toad situation, you know. <laughs> 
Game toad sort no, of went. No, 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 no. Okay. No. Yeah. No. No what? No. No. They did it? <laughs> no. I don't want. No. I don't want to deal with this. I mean, I I can't yeah, did. because um, cane toad babies like baby toadlets, they're venomous from the second they're they're born, right? Yeah. So in 2009, no. uh, Kings crossed into Northwestern uh, Australia from the Northern Territory. Um, mm. 2017 populations have established themselves in the Northern Kimberley and we're moving steadily to the West. So, <laughs> yeah. so you know, one of the things like when, when Rob and I were talking about the, the trip to Western Australia that we were supposed to go on, but didn't, um, I'm not bitter. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> when we were supposed to go on that trip, I'm not angry. Yeah. 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 Uh, one of the thoughts was, is that, you know, we want to get to Western Australia toads. before the cane toads get there, you know? Um, so I don't know. In the parts that we were going, I don't think they're there yet, but they're up in the Kimberley. And that was sort of the fear is that if there's only a little, little pockets of these pythons and there's not a huge uh, uh, amount I mean, of them left. We could be looking at them an extinction event because their existence. Right, because I mean, if, if, if the babies eat toadlets yeah. when they're small and you kill the babies. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, now I hate them even more. Now, now, yeah. I, now, yeah. Now you understand the. Now the, I'm understand why Rob aims for them in the car. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, you know, it's it's not the the toads' fault that they're there, obviously, but uh, it, it isn't. But it's it isn't. But I wonder why. Let me ask this question. I know this yeah. is a tangent a little bit, but I'm going to throw this out there. Sure. Why are people so accepting to let Burmese pythons be killed? Yeah, without but not, thinking about it, but, but people lose their mind about killing cane toads. Well, I don't think Australian people kill them. I don't think they give a shit. Yeah, but I, I, I would also say, why are people? Americans. Why are people all uh, okay with um, Burmese pythons being killed, but feral cats and other things like that get a free pass? Well, yeah. Well, that's because they have fur, man. Bite <laughs> well, me! A feral not... cat can wipe out a species faster than a Burmese python. Well, I, I, I think I heard some stats somewhere, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I would believe it's true because I'm not a fan of cats, but, um, you know, uh, cats, Me cats either. are wild. Um, and, and I would imagine that, uh, I don't know if there's cats in the Kimberley, but I know that there's cats in Australia, and it's yeah. a problem as far as invasive species, and they're killing off uh, a lot of wildlife. And they're sort of, uh, I would imagine that they're sort of taking away, uh, you know, um, uh what would the, what's the word I'm looking for? They're taking away, like they're becoming, they're like those uh, marsupials, like qual, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that, that, that are. Uh, they're easy pickings for things like that, you know. So, yeah. uh, they're sort of taking them out of the out of the environment, if you will. Yeah, um, and, and any any invasive species into an ecosystem is going to be a fucking problem. The only time where it's not going to end up being one is that. Like with the Burmese python in Florida, we have killed enough things down there that we created a hole in the in the chain down there that Burmese python slid right in there as part of an apex predator role. Right. So, and the other good thing is that you still got alligators down there. So yeah. alligators have done their damnedest to keep that shit in control, but 
you imagine like imagine if alligators didn't exist burmese right. pythons would be running freaking muck and that's yeah. what that's what cane toads do unfortunately they're an animal that was equipped with a neurotoxin that nothing on the continent of australia can handle if there had been i think there's maybe like maybe one snake that can do it um i th- yeah, I yeah. think, yeah, I, I was it a keelback? I think, I think so. Yeah, now imagine yeah. if all the species of snake in Australia could handle cane toad poison, it wouldn't have been an issue at all. No, 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 no. I don't think it would have been as serious as it was, but the no. fact that you know, uh, you know, these, this, of, these are things that are evolutionarily never evolved around this species, so they're right. not prepared and they're not able to handle it. So a now, lot of and stuff that, yeah. Would, feed on you know baby skinks and baby frogs and toads and stuff they're gonna jump out a toad it's a slow move a, a toadlet is a small slow moving meal that triggers my little brain to bite this thing right and all, it's all it takes right so yeah no i i i i feel for it on all ends but you're killing some of the most unique species on this planet and it is not because the cane toads just decided to show up there it's our own fucking fault and that's what makes me the most more mad about it is that this is a human problem that we did and we have yet to correct it. Yeah. And I don't know how you correct it. You know, I don't know if you can. Yeah. At this point, cast out of the bag. I mean, I know, you, had your, uh, you had your chance. I mean, you I can exactly they do bounties on the freaking cane toads all the time, but I mean, you can declare open season, which I'm pretty sure they did, but you're never going to get them all now at this point. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think, I think I think what the government should do is pay a dime for a cane toad. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, go go get them. Hey, you you want to bring me like every put a put a I'll freaking... move to Australia and just hunt cane toads. <laughs> I promise I will do my best yeah, to get. I don't rid- like like I don't understand like you know in certain governments they'll give you a certain amount like you know what is it a can uh, a aluminum can that's five cents. How much does a cane toad cost? How much do you want to give me for a cane toad? I will bring you. Burlap bags filled with cane toad. I think I saw on a show one time that mm. they would trade them, that you could take them to certain bars and you could get beers and stuff. For you can, like, dude. I saw somewhere some uh, uh, some restaurant down there was trying to figure out what you can make from like like frog legs. They were like making cane toad legs, like and stuff like that, because mm. they were trying to figure out ways to make it so that it was appealing and maybe do like a hunting season for them and shit like that. And I know they have roundups and stuff like that. Like uh, Florida does it for um, lionfish. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because they were, they're running amok down there too. So if you swim down there and spear the fuckers, they have like little, uh, like like uh, what they do with the Burmese python, where it's like, oh, this guy got the biggest one. I'm like, don't, just make that year round. Like, don't, don't stop. Like, it's good that you do it at this time. Keep going. So, yeah. 100%, yeah. Um, so uh, one one interesting thing with um, Ruffies uh, mm-hmm. is that uh, they, they have not been observed to call a lure, um, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that has to do with the prey. I don't know if. See, I remember there was one time where I, I thought I saw one of my guys do it. Oh, yeah. But once, once. And the hell if I know what the hell I was looking at. And it wasn't as pronounced as like a green tree called a lure. Where it's yeah. like waving its tail all around. So yeah. for all I know, the thing needed to poop. Like it's whatever. But I, that's interesting. I would have loved to if that was something else that they did also. But maybe they don't have to. Yeah, could be uh, what they're 
what whatever their prey is. Maybe I would say that their tails would have to be a different color if you kind of did the coloring, right? Because I think all green don't all green trees have a different colored tail. They do, but yeah. carpets do it, and mm. they don't have different colored tails. But um, maybe it's a learned they don't behavior. Do it as much as Andros, yeah, Andros seem to do it uh, the most. All the fucking time. Like, they yeah. do it all the time, and even as adults, I think they they do it as well. Yeah. Which is kind of weird because they're sort of in this ambush pose, right? I never understood right. that. Right? They're anchoring with their 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 tail, right? And they're just sort of draping down and hanging down with hoping that nowhere that, near their right, damn tail. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's yeah. not even like it's attracting anything. I maybe maybe they just use it more when they're when they're hatchies, right? Or maybe they just use it to bring them in, and then um, right. after that, because it's like, what is it with the? It, it, it's like I love watching the spider spider tail viper do the yeah. lore. Yeah, that is cool, man. Dude, if I had the balls to keep venomous, oh my, it would just—that would be the one. (laughs) That'd be them, and I just go and I throw birds at it. Like again, that's another animal where it's like I want to see it do what it's supposed to do, and I bet you they never lure in captivity. Why? (laughs) Food comes to me. Why do I need to draw it? Own tongues. What what the hell? Now, (laughs) I'd be there Um, with a bird going like, "Come on, (laughs) (laughs) lure it in, dude!" Like, yeah, no. So breeding these guys. Um, yeah, so there's no reports of reproductive activity in the field. Um, so basically everything we're going to talk about is uh, John. We've never found like a female on eggs or anything like that. Yeah, no. no um, they're going to talk about his observations um, of what he had when he had that first uh, initial group. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think when he, the one thing that he did note that uh, his, he observed uh, three adult snakes, one female, two males. In close proximity, uh, they were separated by about five uh, meters. And in August of 2002, which would suggest that um, they're a dry season mating period, right? Okay, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I would imagine that why they would be different than other pythons is who knows. So on our end, they're a winter breeder. Right, yeah. Um, so uh, seasonal timing of reproductive activity in the rough scale python um <clears throat> is uh pretty much the same of what you'd see with uh pythonidae species from tropical australia uh, all the species have been studied in detail mating, mating occurs in the coolest time of year so like the mid dry season mm. uh, with um they lay eggs about two to three months later and hatchings hatchlings are coming out in about another two months um, and they, they emerge, uh, from their eggs shortly before the onset of the annual monsoon, which would make sense, right? You know, right, yeah. all that, uh, activity that would be going on, uh, whether it be, uh, from skinks, frogs, toads. Yeah. And you don't want to be in an egg when everything gets wet. Yeah. Right. So fish, who knows? Maybe they eat fish too. I <laughs> dude, I bet again, if you live in a harsh enough climate, you'll eat whatever the fuck comes in. Whatever you can get. Yeah. Um, in captivity court now again when i say these this is this is what happened in australia so you would have to sort of like mm-hmm. switch it around to be our winner right so uh courtship and mating were recorded in july and august uh each year which sort of again corresponds with their mid dry season uh what would be in the field right and then they laid eggs late october early november uh, which equate, equates to the late dry season or quote unquote the buildup in their mm-hmm. natural habitat. So when we first, what the first time I went to Australia was in the buildup. It wasn't, no, no, no. Well, yeah, it was the same time when we sort of went in um, Darwin, right? It wasn't dry, yeah. dry, but it was the, it was starting to be the onset of the, uh, of the wet. Um, 
So that's uh, what they, I guess they refer to as the buildup. Um, courtship appeared uh, relatively passive and uh, mating was brief. And I think, Owen, you probably can comment on this a minute because you were saying it. Um, but, um, you know, uh, 81 to 89 days after mating, um, they laid eggs. So yep. you didn't really see yours mate, right? I did not. They were sneaky as all fuck. And I thought there was something wrong with the female because I'm like, no, it didn't work. And I separated them and she wouldn't eat. I'm like, dude, what's up with you? Like you were slamming food before we went down. And now I'm starting to get worried. So I put her in a 32 quart bin. I'm like, maybe she'll be better in there, you know, away from me and all those stuff. And then she laid eggs. I'm like, I found the problem. Like it was. And then like, I think an hour after I pulled the eggs from her, she would like, she killed like four mice. So, um, it, uh, they can be pretty sneaky and, uh, the eggs were not, Huge. They were like the in-between of a green tree python and a carpet python. I'd say when you have like small slug carpet python eggs, it's right in there. So it's right around that size. Right. Yep. So. And um, so um, in Australia, Reptile Park, they kept the mm-hmm. males together. So I guess that means that there's no combat. Um, I, well, they kept the male together and then what, chucked the female in? Or did they separate the, take that male and put him in with a girl? I think they were all together, but they had two males. So they had 2.3. And from what Yeah, I but I think that, that varies on every male because, I mean, I've had males that have been totally cool chilling with each other during breeding right. season. And that's how you find out that one of them's a boy um, when they're not supposed to be. But then, because you put it in with another male that it's not okay with. <laughs> like, it's... I'd right. say it's an individual animal thing. It's like how people ask me if they can cohab their animals. And even if I do, like somebody asked me, like, do you cohab your rhinos? And I'm like, I do. But mine seem to be okay with that. Like, you need to check what yours probably, are okay with. Probably the size of the cage, too, right? If you yeah, Also true, if yeah. If they can, enough space, they, you yeah, know, they can get away from off. each other if they right. need to be, yeah. So. Um, so yeah, there's no records of them combating, um, you know, but you know, what's weird with carpets, sometimes ones that we thought didn't combat that you see combat that you, that you did. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not like you're going to mistake combat for other shit too. No. Like combat is combat. No. If, um, if you've never seen combat, don't worry. You'll get there. So <laughs> yeah, some of the observations, um, I thought it was just good to point this out just in case mm. you are reading them and you can sort of look for sort of these signs. Um, okay. Much of the July, the pair um, were seen perching uh, close together, sort of what, you know, was similar to what we see with uh, Mm -hmm. in my experience. You know, they're even if they're laying close to each other, that's that's a good sign. Right. Mm -hmm. No locks were observed. But uh, early October, the female began to show signs of being gravid. Uh So what would that be? I would imagine it would just be like, you know, building on the on her what lower third it's bigger yeah thicker i mean they're they're definitely noticeable when they're thicker well at least this the, my this year round my female is definitely noticeable when she's okay. thicker but then yeah. i also have the ultrasound so i'm like yes yes there's things in there right so, you so what you're seeing you're able to sort of scientifically confirm, yeah. confirm uh which is cool that to this me is awesome is <laughs> um fucking great <laughs> so uh so she so she would descend to the floor, lie in loose coils, and uh, um, she would have the posterior two thirds of her body on her side, or even sometimes upside down. Right, but they'll twist up like that, yeah. You know, so. 
Um, and then uh, if she was disturbed, she would uh, quickly uh, write herself. So I'm yep. just, I, I just was, I thought that was an observation just in case, like, I don't know, sometimes the first time I was breeding, especially if it's a species that I never bred before and you go in and you're trying to look at it. And then all of a sudden you bump the cage or you look at it wrong and then you think you screwed it up, but they would write well, themselves up. And that's the other thing is that my guys, my female hides under her cork bark a uh-huh. lot. So then when I go to move the cork bark, she's already shifted a little bit. So fuck if I know she might've been basking belly up, but, um, also, I'm not down there at the peak of the temperature in her cage. So, right. yeah. So <clears throat> they added a nest box. Um, they put yep. a whole, you know, typical hole in the side, filled it with sphagnum moss, moist sphagnum moss, uh, mm-hmm. about two inches deep. And uh, 24 days after shedding, the female produced 12 eggs, and there were approximately 30 grams each. So did you add a nest box, or did she sort of use the – She's you always those got those. I mean, those hide boxes that yeah. I have, those are always in there. Yeah. Um, she laid in a okay. five quart bin That's what she laid? when I put her in the 32. Yeah. But oh, okay. Because I, every single one of my cages has a hide box and has a bin in there appropriate to uh-huh. the size. So she just, right. they just, she just laid in the bin. So now they have one of those big um, five gallon bins that I use for all my other bigger pythons and stuff like that gotcha. it's for the big oh, big okay. guys they get the 10 gallon ones so yep yeah. okay she's been in it uh, it's moss mulch don't bunch of stuff like that like gotcha. um and also like as we get closer to egg season i kind of stop cleaning up in those bins uh-huh. like my female white lip just peeled and shed all inside that bin so there's like yep. her skins everywhere in there and i'm leaving it because i want her to feel her scent her, right. I, I want her to feel comfortable. Like, this is where I'll put the eggs. Yes, right. that's where I want you to put them. I feel right. like if I clean it and move it or fuck around too much, that's when she's like, no, nope, into the water bowl. Like, no, it's just no. Right. So uh, same thing's going with the female rough scuff. She really loves the front corner underneath her cork bark. And I'm kind of trying to convince her that the bin is good. But <laughs> for the longest time, she wouldn't come out of the hide on the ceiling. So I think this is an improvement. And also, you got to think about that as a different uh, type of behavioral response. So when I moved them into these new cages, she was in the ceiling hide, and she only came down when I fed. Like, she would only come out during the nighttime or when I fed. Okay. Now she would not go in the ceiling hide. Okay. Oh. Wow. So what does that tell you? Maybe it's right. uncomfortable. Maybe she doesn't like the temperatures in the ceiling hide. Maybe she doesn't want to be up there and have to lay the eggs up there like so yeah no we'll see mm, okay yep. so, so the, uh last year the babies were due to hatch in june so we're coming up on when it should be time right so that'd April. be cool yeah um so the 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 incubation that uh they used uh was uh no substrate um mm-hmm. and they uh baked it at 87 degrees nice 87.8 to be exact Fahrenheit. And it was 31 Celsius. Uh, that's mm-hmm. where they put it. And they hatched 61 to 62 days later, which I thought was interesting that uh, they were, that's about what? 10 extra days from carpets. I, I usually counted out to 60. 60. Yeah. Oh, even, I mean, with carp- even with carpets, I counted out to 60, but they usually arrive. Like they'll start hatching the week before or something like that. Gotcha. But I usually put that as the drop dead date. Cause if, if shit hasn't arrived by, or at least started pipping by 60, 
I'm going to start questioning what's going on um, or freaking out. So either one. Okay. I think the olives went longer too. Yeah, that would make sense because they're yeah. bigger. But smaller eggs just seem odd to me that they would. Bigger eggs just make bigger babies, dude. Yeah. Like, and I, I love how I, I'm like, I'm ready for olive eggs, and then they laid them. And I'm like, I don't have a bin big enough. <laughs> like, oh. I eat two bins. I'm like, oh <laughs> shit! Like, yeah. I did not think this. No, they didn't even fit the bins. Like, the problem is that we had the substrate and like the light diffuser. The eggs right. wouldn't fit in there. They're they're oh, they were too big. Oh, so, no. like they were touching the ceiling, and I'm like, that's not going to do. So I had to find a like a tote. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. I'm never prepared. What the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> that's how you do it, right? Um, captive care. So this would be uh, what we're going to talk about. Would be the Australian reptile parks initial setups from those <laughs> wild caught animals. What they did, <laughs> what they observed, all that kind of stuff. So you can sort of. You know, uh, hopefully sort of with the information that we already talked about, you can sort of take this information and kind of put it together and come up with your own sort of uh, way that you would approach it. So they were individually housed in uh, an enclosure that measured about five foot by three foot by four foot high. So they gave them a lot of height, right? Um, Right. Good to know. Um, They used horizontal position branching uh, branches to allow the climbing behavior. Obviously there was a gradient that was used along the length of the branches as well as the floor to the ceiling. Um, So I guess that they would utilize maybe shelves and stuff like that. Like we were talking Uh, lowest side of temperatures were 75 to 78 Fahrenheit, 24 to 26 Celsius. Uh, The warmest uh, temperatures that they used I think this is a little high, but I'm curious. Yeah, it's a little high. Yeah. Uh, 34 to 36 Celsius, uh, 93 to 96 Fahrenheit during the daylight hours. Now, I mean, where they're coming from, it's hot, right? It's hot as shit, yeah. But, um, could that just be the hot spot of what they were doing? You well, know, maybe if you're going to set up a gradient great. and you just let yeah. them get, yeah, they'll take care of themselves. It's like, I don't think I could do that in a tub with these guys or even certain cages, no. but... You know, uh, if I had a big giant cage with a lamp or a gradient, yeah, I'd probably do that. Right. And I think the other thing to note is, is like Mm -hmm. the way they kept them is that they sort of would let the temperatures be the temperatures at night. So you're talking about a big dip at night, right? Yeah. They were, they put hides in the setup, uh, in a warm and a cool spot, um, Mm -hmm. during the night temperatures were influenced by the outside temperature. So whatever was going on on the outside, um, of the Australian Reptile Park is sort of what was going kind on. Kind of what was going on, yeah. So the coldest months, the temps uh, were as low as 60 in the early morning, sixteen, uh, so 60 Fahrenheit, 16 Celsius. Um, during the warmest months, the temperatures often remained as high as 26 Celsius, 78 Fahrenheit. Um, and uh, during the daylight hours, um, the snakes were observed. Uh, they were on the horizontal branches, uh, they seem to pick a spot that allowed the maintenance of the body temperature to sort of be in that Python, uh, Goldilocks zone, 86 to 88, uh, mm. Fahrenheit or 30 to 31. Um, yeah, they didn't use hide boxes. So they observed that they didn't really use the hide boxes except when they would go into a shed cycle. I don't know. Have you seen anything like that? Well, my guys kind of use, they use the hides. I mean, they like the one on the ceiling, right. but that's probably the warmest hide. Um, so my thought would be this is like, if you have a more basic setup, I would imagine mm-hmm. that they would probably utilize those hides. But if you're giving them like these rocky outcrops with and branches and all that other kind of fun shit, yeah, they'll probably utilize that as uh, 
as cover and not be as stressed. That would be uh, would be my thought. But yeah. Um. So they the principal time that the activity period uh, was early evening. So once the lights went off, mm-hmm. the enclosure in the room, um, it was on. Carried on for about a few hours, and this include you know moving within the enclosure, defecation, drinking, mm. and most commonly seen getting into that ambush position. Now, have you ever seen? You said you've seen yours in ambush position. Well, my female, when she comes down, like if I'm feeding, and if she's up in the ceiling high, that's all. She doesn't come out. She just dips down enough of her body to sit in the ambush position, and she's all set and ready to roll. It's like how also. Um, my male was hanging out on his rock ledge earlier today when I was downstairs and he was hanging off an ambush position. Um, but I see at nighttime, he's getting all feisty because I think he wants to go back in with the girl. So they did separate them for a little bit. So I'm probably going to pair them back up. Um, cause he's unsettled and she's like, Oh, this is nice. So clearly one of them wants something else. <laughs> like it's a, uh, Somebody's triggered and somebody else doesn't care. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so setting up babies. Um, so, uh, I thought this was kind of interesting information just for people to know, but, um, their first shed is usually seven to 10 days. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, John Weigel points out that hatch, hatchies begin to increase their nocturnal activity around two to three weeks after hatching. And he makes That's a point so that cool. he doesn't offer food mm-hmm. until he sees this activity. So, I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. That uh, and that's interestingly enough, that's sort of how I approach carpets, right? I yeah. wait till they shed. I give them about two weeks after that, you know, and then I sort of start to feed, you know. Um, yeah, unless unless they're kind of in bad shape. I've seen carpets where it's like you kind of want to try to get them going <laughs> as soon as possible. Please, but, God, eat more. Yeah. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so. Let's see. So this is, ba- I thought this was interesting as far as um, trying to get them to go because I've heard them in, can can be somewhat tricky um, as babies to get going. But this mm. is sort of what he used and what he has success with. So at the peak of nighttime activity, several hours after sunset, he would say around 11 o'clock, he would use long forceps and place a washed day old pup, rat pup, on the floor of the enclosure. He would first try to elicit a strike from the babies by waving the prey in front of them um and then if he didn't get anything he would you know put them in the enclosure he would check in the morning and generally about a third of them would have taken the meal right the next right. night he would offer a different prey uh item to the snake uh that the snakes that didn't eat he would try day old quail uh or thawed rat pup uh that had been scented with he used ground duckling uh, or the skin of that uh, striped marsh frog, right? So um, ground duckling. How does one grind a duckling? I don't know. So my thought was, is that is it like ground <laughs> beef that's like duck? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I guess. Or are you putting a poor defenseless duckling in a blender? Like it is. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, how, how, how devilishly gruesome do we have to get here? Yeah, and I don't know why it would be duck, but for what you know, I don't know. Sometimes snakes are weird, man. You know, I, I can't remember what it is, but uh, gray bands, there's something that they just like. Toad. Oh, it's not it toad. toad. It's something no. different that you, they would never eat. And it's like tuna fish or something stupid. Yeah, something weird. You yeah. Know? <clears throat> so Sorry, uh, dude, generally, I got, I got a carpet eating goldfish. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing is off. Uh, nothing is off limits. Yeah. yeah. 
So uh, generally, when he was offering that, uh, the, the quail or uh, the, the marsh frog uh, scented uh, rat pups, um, he would get about uh, half of that second group to feed. He would not offer any prey for two weeks uh, to both feeders and non-feeders alike. He would start the process all over again. He would try to feed all the babies the unscented day-old rat pup. And for mm-hmm. those that refused, he would offer what he offered them um, the last time that they accepted two weeks earlier. So if it was the quail, he would feed them the quail. If it was, you know, the, the striped marsh frog scented rat pup, he would he would do that. And then okay. um, so when he says rat pup, I guess I don't know what a day old rat pup looks like, because when, when I think of rat pups, I think of those. They're, big, they're, they're pretty, pretty big, they're pretty I mean, big man. You know, also, I, like are, the problem is, are we talking European yes. line rat pup like you know right i mean so, a, day old, a day old rat pup's got to be the size of like uh at least a fuzzy right okay i would think so i, I would think, think so too yeah. so if you're going to use a mouse maybe you go with a fuzzy and uh see like baby bread life like start them big so my setup is um i i you know i have them in tub a tub right now and mm-hmm. um basically what i have is i have that uh I have the uh, 3D perching uh, mm-hmm. set up, um, and what I did is I took egg crate and I sort of like made it so that it's got like little crevices that they can mm-hmm. put two of them together. So it's sort of like, and I put it on the hot spot end, right? So and I put three, it's stacked like three high, mm-hmm. and it can kind of get in there if it wants to get on the underneath all the way on the bottom. Um, it can do that, um, try to give them some security or whatever. And I kind of have it like diamond shape. So it's kind of like crisscrossed, if you will. Yeah. Uh, nice. So, yeah. So, uh, and that seems to work pretty good. Um, I think it gives them a little bit of security and they can sort of, you know, thermoregulate within that, um, hide area. And, uh, I, every time I look there, it's always on the perching. So of course, yeah. I think uh, I need I need more, but I don't want to buy more. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm sitting there going like, man, these are so cool. God, <laughs> I need more of them. And then yeah. like, and I, and I told her about them. Like, I need more of them. And like, you know, I know people who have them. And Melissa's like, just breed yours and keep the babies. I'm like, well, you make a valid point. <laughs> like, right. <it's>, uh, <laughs> right. Damn you and your comments. God damn it. But I want them now. <laughs> <laughs> so. um so they can make like you could you could really deck out their cages, right? I mean, mm. like really go hog wild and give you a little piece of the Kimberly right there in your house. Um, I would recommend checking out uh, Beachy Scaly Beast. Uh, he was yep. on the show a while back. He did. He has two videos. One where he sort of talks about meet his rough scale python, you know. Um, but the one that's really cool, so you can see what the cage looks like completely done and sort of goes mm-hmm. through it and shows you what they do and how they utilize the cage. But he also has one that's called How to Build an Epic Reptile Ledge um, Rough Scale Python Enclosure, right? So mm-hmm. you see you see that? Can you see that? Or is it just uh, – hold on. Uh, I cannot. You can't. All you, no wonder I'm not getting the uh, – so what I'm going to do real quick um, mm. for you is I'm mm. going to take a picture of my Evernote thing and send it to you. Well, I'm going through the Evernote, but I like I. 
Yeah, I mean, I could click on these things, but then it's going to start playing a YouTube video. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, shit. If you like that one picture of it hanging off the rock. Um, the Malcolm Douglas Kimberly Adventure Part 1, 1997. <laughs> yeah. God, that's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Okay, let's see. All right. Let me try this one more time. Um, okay, so we also have Peter Birch, um, yep, that did gorgeous, a really cool, um, I'm telling you, man, I, if I get, if I can get my snake building, I'm going to have cages like Cody <laughs> and I'm just going to have windows, skylights and everything. I'm going to be able to track the moon and <laughs> see how it goes with all my snakes. Yep. So gorgeous. You can see what I'm talking about. Yeah. So if you, you I, I kind of like, I do like Peter Birch's, but I think that um, Luke's kind of looks a little more. Um, Up your alley. Yeah. I like that. Like just how the branches are sort of like. Yeah. All over the place. It looks like, you know, he's got some you, thin you ones. Should, you should thick. honestly God, just have like when we go take pictures and then just have somebody recreate the rocks that you're looking at or in your yeah. pictures and just print the pictures that you took as like a background thing and then have the rocks coming out of it. I think it'd be great. Oh, Imagine yeah. doing that with like, and like having the pictures you took being the background image and then having somebody build off of that and make you like inserts and stuff. That'd be great. That would be, be awesome. dying. That'd be <laughs> fucking, that's a dream. I see. Uh, so the, you were talking about, so there's some, there's a couple wild pics of um, rough scale pythons in the wild. Yeah. Um, and the one that uh, Matt Somerville took uh, was in the uh, Mitchell River region. Mm-hmm. And in that picture, to me, that's another way that, like, that's the perfect uh, idea of, like, trying to set up. Can you yes. imagine having that? That yes. That is a cage. Yes. You know yes. what I mean? It's got the yes. tree coming down, little yeah. rock ledges, you know. Yeah. It'd be pretty badass. Be so, so happy. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, that's rough scale pythons. Uh, there's not a ton of information about them, but um, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm glad yeah. I have them. <laughs> I just it's like uh, you know, it's um, it's just something I really want to see. So, uh, and it's just they they they've been on my list for forever, and I I, I want to take them to the next step of producing my own. And thank God you got a Paris and I don't have to give any of them away. They'll just be mine. <laughs> yeah. I slowly grow my army of rough scale pythons. Yeah. And, you know, it's definitely one of those things now, too, where it's like, we know the cane toads are a threat. We know the fires out there are a threat. And it's like, to think about that this species one day could be one of those animals that has to be reintroduced, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it, you know, it, it's when you have a, species like that that's so uh, such a niche species i mean can you imagine uh, at one point scimitar horned oryx so i think we're down to like one herd in arizona uh-huh. and that was it and through captive breeding populate captive breeding projects by the aza and other places like that they were able to get to the point where they're reintroducing the species back to where they were originally from and that's a man-made issue we did that to the scimitar horned oryx and we fixed it Right. And I would like it if 
people kind of gave a little bit more of a damn about how the cane toads are something that we did to all these species in Australia. And it'd be nice if we fixed it. So I yeah. don't know how they would do, go about doing that, but I think it would be a really sh a real shame to lose something as awesome as a rough scale python because we wanted to make sure that the sugar cane fields didn't have all the bugs in it. Yeah. You know, the native bugs where right. you were like growing the sugar cane. Dickheads. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we don't deserve this poorly. planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, dude, I, you know me, I'm going to be, there are two moments, there, actually there, there are three species that if I ever do produce them or when I do produce them, I'm going to be over the moon. Uh, it's going to be Timor's, Rough Scales, White Lips, which is why last year was such a kick in the balls. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine the, seeing those little heads pop out. God, will be. Oh my uh, god, it'd be gorgeous, be badass. So I, I'm right there with you, man. Hopefully, one day I get to produce them. As well. uh, at this point, you're going to produce them before I do. You know, know. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> I doubt me. it, but maybe. I'm going to be mad, be mad if that know. happens, dude. I'm just saying. Yeah. Oh, and so, if you ever do but, lose your mind and decide you need to get rid of the rough scales, you call no one else. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. well yeah 100 percent. but uh, thank you. i don't see myself uh, thank you i sexual. hope not jesus i don't know you're like i don't know i like kimberly rock monitors and i'm like smack like no shut up i do you stay with morelia you i do stay with the yeah i gotta tell you i was telling you the other I day man the little like ackies, you. Yeah. the ackies man are bad ass oh man they're so cool i love them they're uh i didn't know how i would react to a monitor yeah, and I haven't had one since 2000, and um, back then it was a Savannah monitor, so it was typical, you know, monitor. Old Savannah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I got these little guys where I I I feed them eggs, uh, chopped up scrambled egg from uh, from tongs. So I like tap on the rock, yeah, and they come running out, and then I like feed them, and they like you know they're like <laughs> they're, they're, so cool, they're tiny man. little kids. Yeah, an Aki is somebody took a Nile monitor and shrunk it. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like this miniature version of a, of a monitor. Yeah. I don't know why uh, bearded dragons are popular when you can have an Aki. You have an Aki? And also, it's just one of those things. And if you set them up right, I heard they're like egg laying machines and they're fantastic animals to observe. It just don't, oh, they don't like don't they don't like touching. Like, that's the problem is that a bearded dragon, you can put oh, wings yeah. on it and the hat. Yeah. So, of course, true. it's the popular one. <laughs> yeah. When it's the yeah. one that actually, I, I, no, see, now I'm getting mad. So it's like, why are both my things are popular? Because they can wear mustaches and put a <laughs> Yeah. And you can dress it up and it sits there. <laughs> Carpet pythons are mean and they don't let me do that. They bite me. You mean it acts like a snake? <laughs> like it's, right. I mean, it acts like a python. It's like, get away from my face. I wanted to have a mustache, a top right, hat. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you know, when you put dragon wings on your ackies is when I come over and take them from you. Yeah. It's like it, I th I would hope that you would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I you, need you help. Have I know, right. Eric. I'm here. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Dory's like, why is he taking your monitors? I I, I don't deserve them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, honey. I, I, just I put wings out. on them. What? I just, I just, like, <laughs> oh, and take these house. away from All him. Right. I'm so embarrassed <laughs> of my husband how he could do such a thing. I just like how you went to like the Roxy version of monitors. You got a small, pissed <laughs> off little animal. <laughs> Hey man, I need miniature versions Where? of all things. That's it. You, everything must be miniaturized. Yes. Smallest carpet species, 
small. I didn't even think about that. It has to be small and angry. I'm beginning to see where your niche is here. It's yeah. Like, you have your little. I have niche. a large pissed off thing. You. It has to be small and angry. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be able to control it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah, man, they're badass. So. Yeah, and then I was, you know, obviously you start to go down the rabbit hole and you start mm-hmm. to look at other other monitors and Kimberly's. Kimberly's are gorgeous. Kimberly's are gorgeous. God, yeah. they're cool. Yeah, and they stay small too. Well, small, yeah. you know. So that'd be, that'd be that's if if it's cool to observe and cool to watch and do whatever, dude. Like that's that's awesome. And again, we've talked about this how we're both kind of like getting back into that whole like, yeah, plugging in and just enjoying the animals, yeah, and stuff like that. It's like it having a cool Kimberly rock monitor set up like that'd be badass. Even yeah. if you only had one in there, who cares? That's yeah, I don't cool. I don't even really care about breeding right. as much as just having one, you know. Like I, dude, I myself getting I enjoy that stuff. And like setting up the rhinos, like I have had more people interested in seeing what's going on with the rhinos in that tank in the living room than like they want to go downstairs and see the snakes in the bin. This is cool. And also it's disarming and like People who would never ever want to go down to the snake room ever are taking pictures of the rhinos because one of them is out and moving around. So, yeah, you did an awesome job with that side. That's really cool. I just, dude, like, I just, that's why I keep looking at stuff like Cody's and I'm like, it again, like, game. <laughs> yeah, dude, like, you know, and, and more power to him for like hand painting rocks and shit like that. Yeah. And it's like, can you imagine again taking one of the pictures that you or Rob or somebody, takes when we're out there and using that as a backdrop to build off of to make a naturalistic enclosure basically you're just building yourself a reptile zoo in your house yeah that's what i want that's what i want yeah i see yeah. I, you know i the, I, I i this is this is sort of crazy but mm. like, you know, i have the middle room upstairs that that's yeah. small room yeah right? that, you don't need that room so that room. i was sitting there and i'm telling dory i was like um what do you think about me making this lizard room? <laughs> She's like, what? And I was like, well, I'm just thinking like I could keep all the lizards up here and just like, yeah. have, like some nice naturalistic setups. Some nice here. lizards. Yeah. Yeah. Put a nice desk in there and you, you know, you like lizards, right? Dory? <laughs> yeah. So well, she wants- aren't you also still turning the room right outside that like you're right now you're in the diamond room. Yes. You said you have the snake room over there. Are you doing anything with that middle room that's in between there and your outside? Well, that's another spot that's uh, <laughs> sort of slowly taking over, man. You know, I, I see mean, my, the whole I house is becoming out there is how cold it gets during the winter. Call you know? your bridge. I mean, if you want to get just one big ass indigo and just have a chill. I thought about that. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about that the last mm-hmm. time we were here. I was like, what do you think about a nice big indigo? Including? You know, I'm all for indigo and everything that it stands for. <laughs> <laughs> stop go. talking and do it do it i mean go on yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah i don't know i don't know we'll see uh we'll see what happens but um yeah. i'm uh i'm digging them i'm digging those monitors but uh cool. yeah that's it for rough scales and rough scale show and uh yeah obviously we're going to be doing more of these i quite enjoyed doing the research and kind of putting it all together and um Hopefully it's going to do well for your book. (laughs) It'll do well for the book when you finally write that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just collecting all this data. Um, But uh, yeah. So uh, if you, if you're on the fence with roughies or if you're, 
I, I would say that if you're maybe into some kind of uh, arboreal type of, uh, of, of snake that you're looking for, give Ruffy's a chance. I think uh, also I think right environment, you can really set something up cool. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, also, I think if you're in Morelia, because I mean, we talked about this the last time when people kind of get into Morelia, you kind of, you decide whether you're going to do coastals or IJs. And then you kind of further decide if you're going to do inlands or bread lie. And then you kind of further down. And then you always have the dream of rough scales or imbricata or something like that. And uh, so it's one of those things where if you do have Morelia and you have experimented with, you know, say jungles and maybe you have even some scrub species, I think you would very much enjoy a rough scale python. Yeah. And they're definitely something to behold. So if you haven't seen them in person, Ask, and you know somebody in your area who does have one, ask if you can come over, offer to clean cages. You know, I, it's, that, that's how you win entry into my room. Yeah. So it's. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, so but, the only uh, reason I let Chris Salemi in my room, you know, <laughs> uh, the only reason I let him in my house, I was going to leave him outside with Bigfoot bullshit and uh, just be like, I hope he keeps you warm. But then he's like, I'll clean cages. I'm like, did you did you watch that clip? No, I didn't watch that clip. <laughs> <laughs> Notice I didn't tag you in it. I, I no, was but like, here's the thing. I was enjoying all that shit. I read that entire article about thylacine because I'm like, this makes sense. I enjoy this. Okay, right. this is a creature we know for a fucking fact existed. Right. Could there be some out there? That's kind of cool to think about. But then it immediately changes to, but then they found DNA evidence of a monkey tooth. It's like, God damn it. <laughs> Like I was so on board, and then watch, you and watch, watch no, that. Just, no. just please watch. No, that. no. Just watch that. Just watch I, it. I refuse. I know you refuse, but just, just, just stupid. watch it. Yes. Monkey is stupid. Monkey doesn't exist. If you watch yeah. that video and yeah. give me your honest feedback after you watch that video, if okay. I produce a hypo. You can have first pick of the hypos. That was already going to happen. <laughs> first pick. Damn it. Damn it. It's only five minutes. Damn it. You choose. I'm not admitting to ever watching this to anybody else. This will be a forever mystery of whether Owen actually watched the video. Yes, exactly. For our Patreon members. I'll write up a whole thing. And if you subscribe to the Patreon, you can read what I thought about this five second stupid monkey video. <laughs> that, that, that's not a bad like, idea. Can we get uh, Lucas? Can we film my response to this video as I watch it? Uh, <laughs> well, my rage. <laughs> speaking of Patreon members, I want to say a big thank you to all the people that have uh, signed up uh, for Patreon. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah. We're going to, we're thinking about more content, more stuff for you guys and peers. Um, once we get that going, we'll get everything going for you guys and uh, yeah, uh, show that up. Also, uh, obviously, there's some stuff out on the Teespring store, and uh, we'll throw that out for you guys too. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, cool. um, uh, yeah, uh, what else do we got? So, let's go down the list and uh, let's wrap this up. So, we have first and foremost our website, right? MoreliaPodcastRadio.com. Yep. Um, it's, uh, the, the catch all for us, everything you want to see and, uh, know, uh, about, you know, us and Morelia and all that kind of stuff is all there. It's a work in progress. We're slowly 
um, you know, adding new podcasts as they come up uh, for mm. the network and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, you can uh, get links to our Teespring store, which is now it's NPR Network. Nice. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking for NPR, that's why you can't find it. Um, let's see what else. Uh, our email is info at morellipythonradio.com. Mm-hmm. If you want to, uh, you know, uh, if you want to support the podcast, the best thing you can do is just subscribe on whatever podcast app you uh, like. Share it around. Share it around to people. If you like the episode, whatever, share it around. Um, we have, we probably have the problem. Well, the next podcast that probably will be coming out um, will be um, the Field Herping Podcast with yes. me and Nipper. Yes. Uh, so that will probably be the next one that uh, can't we'll- wait for you to pronounce things in front of him or with him or with him within striking distance. No, Eric. No, yeah. no Eric. That's not what I. Do you have your tea ready? <laughs> How do we no, make a proper cup of tea? No, I have a black coffee, black like my soul. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so we got the Teespring store. We got the website, the email. Uh, you can support us on Patreon if you want. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you can go over there, uh, Maria Python Radio Network. And what else? Um, so just for people, if there's going to be maybe next week or the week after we are, I'm, I'm going to take, I finally got the confidence to move NPR from blog talk to transistor. Right. Mm-hmm. I've been working on this for a long time. Oh so if you haven't, you haven't heard this me, decision happen. <laughs> well, I, we're, we're cutting ties with blog talk. If you haven't heard from me, you sent me messages and I haven't gotten back to you. This is why this takes a lot of time and a lot of work to move all 10 years of NPR from one to another. The entire archive? Yeah. Yeah. God damn, dude. So I don't think it's under the same RSS feed. So I don't think there'll only be any disruptions. But if for some reason, all of a sudden it happens that way. Don't panic. We did not disappear. We, we're not changing anything. Um, we're just, uh, we're just. Open your NPR emergency kit. Yes. Which consists of a video of me screaming at you to calm the fuck down. <laughs> And that's all. <laughs> that's it. That's all. It really pretty. That's, I mean, it's, it's, that's really all that's in it. It has a whistle in there. It has a whistle in there. Blow the whistle. Does it make you feel better? Good job. Yes. Like yeah. Then the whistle worked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then it, is it helping? <laughs> uh, so uh, let's give a rundown of the uh, podcast that we got going on. We have uh, obviously the OG Moran Python Radio. Yeah. Um, and uh, I should say that next week. We will be talking to Justin Julander, and we are talking about his new book, uh, The Complete Knobtail. Geckos. Yes. Favorite. Little little geckos with uh, little bumps on the back of their tails. (laughs) Little knobs. Like, boink. Those you can put top hats on. (laughs) No, no, I don't want to do it. Now I don't want to do it. Yeah, no. No, they are definitely not. They're too bad. I was actually actually telling Melissa about the gecko we found in Australia. And she's like, I'm like, we found it by accident. She goes, you guys just found it. I'm like, no, no, no. Rob and I were making fun of Eric because he had us pull over for a stick that he thought was a blackhead. And we were thinking of very horrible things to say to him. 
and he found a gecko. So it was, yeah, he, he, he pulled he pulled himself out of the fire. He was gonna get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. oh, I love that little gecko, man. I was Save so happy ass. when we found that because that's the one gecko. You know, when I'm flipping through all my Australia, yeah, that books, is such all, a cool gecko. I was like, oh my god, I love this gecko. Yeah. Um, but uh, very cool. Yeah, I could see myself adding those. Um, mm-hmm. Those are nice geckos. Oh, by the way, uh, my dad, he added mm-hmm. poison dart frogs. <laughs> he has this naturalistic setup. I went over there the other day. Who the hell are these? And I'm like, yeah. what is this? I was like, you got poison dart frogs? <laughs> like, what, what, kind, what, kind, what kind did he get? He got the blue ones. I don't know what that uh, is. Oh, okay. Yeah. I forget which ones those are. Well, I always like Lucas Mellis, the uh, uh, yellow and black ones. Yeah, yeah, he has uh, the blue ones. It's, I'm telling you, man, his freaking. Ca- I, I next time I'm there, I'll take a picture. I'll say, yeah, dude. Yeah, his naturalistic setup blows my mind. Well, apparently, Oaks is this weekend, so you know I might not oh, see you there, there. But what? He's going. No, I'm gonna say I might not see you there, but I'm waiting for your dad to walk around. He's there. gonna be there. Yeah. God damn. He's right. like, hey, son. Now, this is so weird, right? He's like, hey, son, there's a reptile show this Saturday. Think you can get off work and head up? And I was like, well, thanks for telling me, uh, you know, three days before the show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I have to work. No, I have to work. He's like, oh, that sucks. Me and your sister are going to... to to there to uh i don't know what they're i don't even know if they're getting he's like i don't know if i'm getting anything or anything i just I'm oh sorry. yeah that's, that's dangerous talk yeah. I was like, i'm, I'm really going, just going to browse yeah you're going down the slippery slope mm-hmm. my man this is how it starts yes yeah. oh if that's he's tough. if i see him there i'm gonna point him in some certain directions you know what's good is this anaconda <laughs> <laughs> so so far he has he has two pairs, 2.2 2 of mm. the emerald green skinks, right? Yeah, <laughs> set up separate, like two and okay. two. Right. And a uh, pair in each cage. Um, mm-hmm. Then he has a crested gecko, which he says every time I talk to him, he's like, I don't really like the crested gecko. Nobody likes the crested gecko. I was yeah, like, Dad, yeah, nobody yeah, kind of. Been really. there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of an old thing. Yeah. Um, and he's like, but you know what I really like? I really dig this leopard gecko. And I was like, okay, well, that's again, you're in Crested Gecko no, too. I mean, okay, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. I said, what about uh, Lichianus? You ever yeah. hear that? What's that? And I show him, he's like, oh, I need one of those. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. And then and he has, who doesn't want a gecko the size of Roxy? You know, yeah. yeah I know, right? mm-hmm. Poison dart frogs. Um, nice. He really wants some Ackies. And, um, I, you know, I told him, I said, well, maybe. Uh, well, if you start laying eggs, dude. I'll breed them or whatever, and I'll send you some yeah. or something. So, so there's that. And now he's got the poison dart frogs, that's and he's cool. got the cow king. That's uh, bulletproof. That that we, <laughs> we bought in the NR on our ABC show in Philadelphia, which so that, tells you how old that thing is. <laughs> Two thousand two, maybe. Christ. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> twenty years old, Damn. still rock solid. Uh, yeah. So anyway, we got off on a tangent. Anyway, we did. Yeah, that happened. So yeah. uh, the uh, shows. Notes. <laughs> yeah, is the other one. Colubrid yeah. Corner. Yep. Uh, we have um, uh, student of the serpent. Mm-hmm. Um, we have carpets and coffee, mm-hmm. which is also on YouTube. We do a streaming every Monday at uh, it's one o'clock Eastern time, ten o'clock. Uh, Pacific time when when Owen's working. Like when Owen's working, yeah, poor Owen. 
one day he will be uh, when he out of the sanitarium. And I still yeah, well, like yeah, work yeah. on those days. Yeah, like, no, I can take it. it. No, it's fine. If, if you're my boss, I'll do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> <laughs> you and I both know that's, yeah. Fair no. deal. Yeah. Anyway. We'll have to be co-bosses. <laughs> yeah, it's going to have to be. Otherwise, it's be a lot of be a lot of friction if it's the other way around. <laughs> How dare you, sir. How dare you, sir. Yeah. The Turpin <laughs> Podcast will be next. And uh, I think Justin Julander uh, mm-hmm. is pretty close to doing his um, podcast to get up and running. So that will be sweet. Cool. Um, yeah. And then yeah. Uh, we have Lucas's. Um, Lucas, uh, yeah. Uh, humans of Herb the culture. culture. So you should check out his video he did on Inland Carpets. Pretty yes. Cool. Uh, yeah. Just put the it Empire, up. The Empire Grows. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, so there's that. And then um, we have a couple things that me and Owen added to uh, NPR. One, we got yep. her pastry. And the next episode, we, uh, which I got to get in touch with him, yep. is going to be Richard Ross, uh, which is awesome. the author awesome. of Blue Bible. Holy shit, man. Do you ever think yeah. you'd be talking to that guy? No, no. And I don't like there's certain like there's certain moments in time where I don't want to talk. <laughs> like. What are you going to do with Marco Shea is sitting right there? I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. Like, dude, like we talked, we just talked about this episode, which I, I, all the people that have had Marco Shea on, it's like, they're like, oh, and you found the rough scales. He's like, yeah, it was cool. I'm like, no, talk about it. More. We need more. Tell me more. How big was the fire you had on the beach? Yeah, I don't don't know. Like every, tell me every every inch of this snake. Like, you know, it. come on. Did it bite you? Did it threat display? What did it See, do? I mean, that's the other thing we didn't talk about. Like one of the things that really drew me to rough scale pythons was watching that one video of Brian Barczyk handling the one that was just lighting him up. Now, it, and it's like and the sheer joy that's on Barczyk's face of this thing <laughs> mauling him. And he's just so happy because he's holding it. And I'm like, I, I connect with this on a yes. deep level. It's like, I understand, Brian. Yes, <laughs> like it, I do. <laughs> yes, yes. I totally let this thing just slaughter me. Yeah, so that's great. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, um, yeah. I think I named them all. Um, I think that's it. We, we have to really make a list. We're, we're yeah, bold and wrong. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, talked about the Teespring store. We talked yep. about uh, the Patreon. We talked yep. about uh, the YouTube channel, NPR Network. Uh, yep. go check that out. And then um, I think that's everything. Uh, cool. E.B. Moralia. You can follow me all over the place and uh, ebmoralia.com and uh, eric at ebmoralia.com is my email. That's cool. all I for, for me, it's rogue-reptiles.com. And it's also rogue underscore reptiles on Instagram. Also on Facebook.com, it's rogue reptiles. Uh, yeah, that's about it. So we'll say thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch everybody back here next week for some more Moralia Python radio. Good night. 